can get your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the Green Dragon. Welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast. This is Jeremy here with a special guest, Josiah. How's it going, everyone? Now, Josiah, you have not been on the Green Dragon podcast before, so before we start this wonderful Carnish episode, I want you to say a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, my name again, Josiah. Um, hail from New Zealand, of all places, Middle Earth, as some refer to it as. Been playing the hobby, I suppose, competitively now for about five years. However, like many of us enthusiasts, started very young through the Degastini magazines, Battle Games in Middle Earth. First army I ever collected was uh, the tin cans, the Minister Earth. I still recall getting that box of 24 back in the day, prior to the change, and again the change back, um, painting them up and bulker metal and all the rest. But of course got back into the game about six, seven years ago and built that Minister Earth army again in full and have since built many armies. I predominantly play in the NZHR here in New Zealand. Our league has grown and gone from strength to strength over the past few years, in particular with the uh, reinvigoration of the game, the latest series, uh, Edition, which is awesome. And we have, again, I suppose around 12 annual, 10 to 12 annual tournaments and a mixture of different uh, interactive activities surrounding the hobby, which is great. I had the privilege this year, of course, as well, to attend Ardor Elite and meet yourself there, Jeremy, which was awesome. Mm, It definitely was. And we had, uh, we had a great game there. I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, has to come. And, of course, yeah, just great experience there, being able to travel and play internationally. Uh, so add that to the resume. It's a good resume. And I like that your scene's gone from strength to strength as well. I, you rarely hear of ones going from strength to weakness, but it's always really sad when that happens. So strength to strength is a good call. Yeah, you know, that's good. We've got a very proactive um, uh, league coordinator, and a committee that are, again, committed to, um, again, stimulating the community and sort of creating and emphasizing uh, all elements of our community, again, whether it's your interest is painting, playing, tournaments, um, you know, discussion, um, nitpicking with rules and uh, <laughs> FAQs and all the rest, you know, um, or even just, yeah, just collecting, trading models and acquiring you know, hordes of plastic. Well, the army we're talking about today is not going to be hordes of plastic, I don't think. It's uh, mostly hordes of metal at the moment. <laughs> yep, quite the opposite, yep. yeah. And it's beautiful metal. It, it is probably one of the nicest armies out there, the the Kandish army. And I had the privilege to play against your Kandish army, and it was spectacular. It looked really good and, and really inspiring. So much cavalry models, so many chariots, and so many banners. <laughs> well, that means a lot coming from you, Jeremy. Um, yeah, no, again, very heavy, heavy metal army. Um, and, of course, I suppose in terms of thematic influence, somewhat reminiscent of steppe warriors and um, you know, ancient, I suppose you might say, Mongolian themes or influences there, um, which is really neat. And, yeah, they play incredibly different to most armies, at least, on the New Zealand scene, which is is quite neat to sort of spice that up and and inject the uh, the meta there in such a way. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's it, yeah, such a different army and so scary to play against because you don't get many turns to react to it, and that's what caught me off guard when I was playing against you. That you set up a defensive formation and you were there a turn before I expected it, which was quite surprising. Mm, yeah, no, I've I've found in my experience, and I'm probably 
explain in more detail later, but it's yes, it has that psychological factor on your opponents, especially again because you know we all sort of um, scour the books and look at every profile, and well, some of us do, and learn every you know profile stat, you know left, right, center, and they, they quite often get passed over and sort of neglected, and I suppose. Every now and then, if you do see them, they're probably allied. Um, it's very rare, at least in my experience, to see a pure Khan army. Again, that's you know saying I play in the New Zealand League and not experienced in the likes of again American or even the Australian, British, and European, and so forth. Um, so yeah, at least in our league, they're very rarely seen. Yeah, we're the same. I've got a, a small ally contingent all ready to go. I've got an army that's not ready to go, but will become an army soon. Kylie's got a whole army of Khan, which he unleashes on unsuspect, unsuspecting <laughs> people every once in a while. But they're really the only ones that I've seen a lot of. It's it's an army that's uh, quite difficult to obtain sometimes, and it's quite, mm. a, quite a project. You do see them occasionally around, and I feel like they're an army that, that does really reward both the tactics and the, and the modeling side of it. They've got a lot to offer. Mm, certainly, that, that's what I found. Um, uh, at least in acquiring my army, I, I bought it in three chunks, of course, uh, being metal, <laughs> being rather expensive, mm. and, of course, being on the other side of the world. <laughs> um, as, as, as you well know, Jeremy, we, we pay a little bit of a premium there, but uh, that's right. Um, we do. Quite it in three, quite in three lots and, yeah, built it slowly and uh, sort of gained experience with it slowly in little bits until uh, we got to larger points limits. Yeah, no, it's it's exciting. So I think we should move on, if you don't mind, Josiah, to look yeah, at these no, profiles of Khan. So our first segment will be Know Thine Enemy, Variags of Khan. Know Thine Enemy. The Variags of Khand. To the east of Middle-earth lies the fractious and war-torn lands of Khand, split into untold numbers of provinces, settlements and villages. These are all presided over by a host of kings and chiefs, each one having come to rule through ruthlessness, treachery and the acquisition of wealth, for in Khand, power lies to the ones who can best afford it, and loyalty is a commodity that can be bought or sold as if it were goods on a stall. Chieftains will often remain loyal to their kings, for it is they who ensure that the chiefs are kept rich, and in turn that those under their command are paid, yet even this loyalty can be bought. More than once an ambitious chieftain has amassed enough wealth to buy the allegiance of another in order to seize control of a Kandish province. However, should such treachery be uncovered, any Kandish king worth his salt will personally see that the conspirators are put to death in the slowest and most painful way their imagination can muster. So we've only got a few models in the Variags of Khan, and the first one is a very special one, the Khandish King. So the Khandish King is, for 95 points, you get a man, Khandish Infantry, Hero of Valor, which has now been changed to, uh, oh no, Hero of Valor has stayed the same, hasn't it? Still the same, yeah. Still the same, yep. yeah, that's the 15 models, isn't it? Yep, that's yep, correct. Perfect, yeah, no, that's, that's a good one. You've got a solid profile for a hero character, so move six, which I don't think you're going to use very often, quite frankly. Fight five with a four plus shoot value, which you will use a lot. Strength four, defense six, attacks three, which is excellent. Wounds mm. two, courage of five, and then pretty average hero stats of two, two, one, which is enough, but it's it's not spectacular. 
but the war gear is where he really shines. So oh, you've yeah. got heavy armor, hand and a half axe, which is an excellent axe, so it's either way now. And then mm-hmm. a bow. So you've got the, the useful special strike if you want. You've got two-handed weapon if you want to do that, which oftentimes you do. You've got a bow, which is very nice. It comes with it. So you get all that baked in. Uh, you've got the options for a Karnish chariot, which we'll talk about at the end of this, which is a very good option and usually the option to take, would you agree? Oh, yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, it does push you over that sort of 120 points, but, I mean, in all honesty, in my experience, what I've found is they can go toe-to-toe with the 150-plus heroes and, and tank, you know, a couple of rounds if you're fortunate against them um, and, and very much draw... Uh, a lot of your opponent's resources in terms of heroes or monsters or what have you uh, into a specific um, position on the battlefield. So for 120 or 125 points on a chariot, like it's, it's a bit of a bargain. Yeah, I agree. You've also got the horse option, which I haven't really seen often very around. It could be a really cool conversion opportunity, but it's not one just because the chariot's such an appealing and unique option. So there's your, your point. So you're paying 95 for a foot model, which... You're crazy if you do that. You're paying 105 points for a horse model, which you have to have a really good reason to do that, or you're paying 125, which probably is is either a right long cost or a bargain for the chariot version of it. And you also get some excellent heroic actions in uh, Resolve, which can be useful at occasions. You get March, which is very useful, especially on your leader, just to have a March. The more March you have in the army, the more flexible you are. But you've also got the the ultimate one, the heroic strike, which is really what you want on a character that's fight five. Certainly, yeah. And again, like you mentioned, character, fight five, three attacks, Strength four with, you know, hand and a half sword, uh, sorry, axe, you know, piercing striking potentially at strength five, plus one to wound, knocking down cavalry models uh, potentially. Um, yeah, it's, it's brutal. It's, it's absolute uh, devastation when it comes off. No, it certainly is. And above all that, you get a very good special rule. So commanding presence, which is a passive special rule, uh, means that friendly Karnish models within six inches of the Karnish king. Six inches. Six inches is good. Yeah. Become, count as being in range of a banner. So basically, this guy gets a banner effect. He doesn't count as a banner. They count as being in range of a banner. But he gets to, to spread his influence within six inches of your army, which is a surprisingly large amount. Most of your army gets in that when he hits. And uh, it counts him as well because he's a friendly Kandish model within six inches of himself. So yeah. that's pretty handy. Oh, yeah. Um, and again, as we'll probably talk uh, in the later segments regarding tactics... Um, you know, if you have one or two, if that's how you play it, um, you can certainly hold down a flank, you know, giving extra attacks to all the other models around them, which is, which is huge. And then again, five attacks essentially from himself on the charge that there, that's massive. Yeah, it really is. And you, you touched on it there and probably didn't point it out as much. He's an unnamed hero. So you can take more than one Kandish king. You could have rival kings. You could have multiple kings. You could have some sort of weird thing. We have four kings all coming together. And they can all all use the, the rule. So so that's one of the heroes that, as an unnamed hero, you're pretty much getting getting the value of a named hero in this, this model here. Yep, certainly. Okay, Josiah, do you want to do the next one, the Kandish Chieftain? Yep, sure, yeah. Uh, so the Kandish Chieftain, um, sort of like most sort of captain-esque profiles we find uh, across many of the armies. Um, again, uh, his movement is six inches, fight five again, shoot value four, he's strength four, defense five this time, 
two attacks, two wounds, courage four, and then your standard captain sort of uh, resource profile, two might, one will, one fate. Uh, he, of course, has armor and a hand and a half axe and a bow. Uh, his options are, of course, a horse or a chariot. Um, again, giving him that flexibility. Again, he's 55 points base. So, again, 55 points, fight five, hero. That's, that's big. That's huge. Um, put him on a horse. Put him on a chariot. Uh, either way, it's a nice, fairly cheap, if not extremely cheap, um, sort of, might uh, carry, pair him up with, say, a king or pair multiple of them with a king, especially on chariots and with the likes of that king's banner rule, like that is a devastating front um, if you can pull it off against your opponents. Yeah, this guy's the the budget version of the king, essentially. So you don't get the commanding presence, you don't get the strike, but everything else is pretty similar. Yeah, you, you cop a point of stat here and there, a will and a defense, but he hits pretty well just as hard. Well, you get one less attack, but still, it hits hard enough, but for, for a much more palatable price, even though the 125 is good value, this guy's really good value. And I also find that he's not bad as a, a horse character. This one, you, you tempt to take it just because you get a bit more flexibility in the moving. You can fit into spots you couldn't normally do. You can help out. You can you can uh, control him a little bit better. So a horse is not a bad option, and it's the points do make a difference there. So for 65 with a horse, that's a pretty budget character with fight five and, and everything else going on. But on chariot as well, for 85 points, you've got a real hitter as well. And one you can't ignore. He's hard to take down as well. Yeah, certainly. And again, like, especially on chariot, and sit there with the, the king as well, like, and we'll talk about the chariot in more detail, but he is he's still pretty tanky, still hard to take down. And certainly in my experience with them, um, as I often run, run multiple, they can sort of draw your opponent's uh, resources to, into one part of the board and keep them there for you know half the game, if not the whole game, um, and, and sort of hold their own, which is, which is great for what you're paying for them. Yeah, and the heroic action, the heroic march with, with this guy... The march is so different when you're on a chariot compared to when you're fighting normally. Normally, it's just for moving fast or repositioning your back ranks or, or those sort of maneuvers, but it can be a real offensive weapon with the, the Kandish because unlike other models, normally you can't charge with a march, but the Kandish chariots, we'll go through them in a moment, they don't actually charge when they enter, like, enter touching another model. They just run over them until they stop. So you can march yep. right over people, which is very, very scary. So you can potentially have a, a chariot that's moving extra speed with a march and going right across the battlefield. Yes, it, it's incredibly devastating. And I believe the wording is something along the lines of uh, when the chariot moves and when it comes into contact with a friendly or um, opponent's model or something along those lines. Uh, so, yeah, set up, depending on the mission, um, and you've essentially got a 15-inch threat zone that... Um, will certainly either get your uh, opponent backpedaling or, um, you know, spending a bit more time contemplating where to deploy. Yeah, well, also means that, that we'll go into the tactics more, but 15-inch threat range really does limit where you can set up as an opponent for it. So even if you don't call the march, which oftentimes you will, but even if you don't, there's still that potential for it and that you still have to act accordingly. So... It, it's a it's a great model. It's one of the better captain models in the the game, I think, just because you've got pretty much a standard captain profile on foot, which is not terrible, but then with such excellent mount options. Yeah, no, very versatile. Again, for very um, very cheap 
points limit there. Yeah, absolutely. So those are your only two heroes in the list, I believe. And so we move on to the next ones, which are your Carnish Warrior. So the Carnish Warrior is a stock standard infantry, but he's not a bad infantry model. Eight points, so you're looking at that middle range for infantry. He's a, a man, an infantry warrior, Carnish, gets all that sort of stuff, gets the banner bonus for for his king. Fight four baseline with the move six. Fight four is really good to have as your baseline troops. So that's that's good. Four plus shoot value is average, but that's useful. Strength three, defense four are both very average to low, but defense four is okay. It's not terrible. Once you get down to three, it's pretty bad. Uh, courage three is useful. It's not, not terrible, but it's a pretty average profile. But the weapons are good. You've got armor, a hand and a half axe now, so it's not just a double-handed axe, hand and a half axe, and dagger. So you can use the... The dagger strike if you want to as well, which is pretty good. But you can also swap your hand and a half axe for a bow. So you get bow dagger then. So for free, you can upgrade it. So the nice part about this is for the eight points, you get the weapon option now. Yeah, no, again, excellent cost. Uh, and in some of a basic sort of stat line, but in, in my opinion and experience with these guys or with the Khan playing with them, I'd have to say that these guys are the unsung heroes of the list. And again, when we get to the list sort of building, I'll go into more detail about it, but they're often overlooked as a result of the army bonus, which again, we'll talk about in a moment. But yeah, for the co- for the point you're paying, points you're paying, they're, yeah, they're great. Yeah, they certainly are. Uh, I'll move on to the next one because I'm going to let you do the chariot because that's got lots of stuff in there. <laughs> the Carnish Horsemen, which are the models that I like in the list and really did attract me to the list because they're, they're really, really nice models. Uh, the Carnish Horsemen are bargain cavalry for 13 points. 13 points is that cavalry price that it's just throw it in. It doesn't matter what it does because it's it's so cheap and it can do such damage with the knockdown. But you get a good profile because you fight four cavalry. So fight four cavalry, 13 points. Great. You've got the standard profile for the rest of the warrior. So your strength three, which is fine. Defense four, fine. Courage three. You've got your hand and a half axe. So you can two hand on, on cavalry, which is interesting. You've got the bow as well. So you get both of them this time. And if they dismounted, you've got to choose which one, which I really like because it's unlike the, the Rohan and the elves where you get a problem where you end up with like seven hands controlling all your weapons. <laughs> you have to use the models you've already got. So for an army that's pretty expensive to buy, at least you get to use those metal models as the foot models, as the dismounts. You don't have to go and make special ones for them. So these guys are just great. Yeah, and again, I was, I was certainly the same with regards to that. And pro- probably the chariots in terms of what attracted me to the army uh, visually. Um, reminiscent of, again, those sort of steppe warriors that fought on horseback with their, you know, composite bows and sort of all those sort of historical peoples and their, 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 their the ways they approached war. That certainly attracted me. And, of course, yeah, for 13 points for the profile, getting essentially a, an infantry model on a horse, it, yeah, they epitomize the light. Um, sort of hit-and-run cavalry uh, type, which is great. They're fantastic. They're really good. And look, this is a good time to talk about the army bonus because... Well, the army bonus is that the Carnage Horsemen and Charioteers, which we'll get to in a moment, do not count towards the force's bow limit. So you ignore these models entirely when you're counting up how many models you have. So that means you can take a third of your infantry models with bow and still take as many horsemen or as many chariots as you like. And for me, from I, I like to use them as an ally force. That's fantastic because I can take a captain or king on chariot and then just, just throw in five or six cavalry models as his little entourage and away we go. We've got a little cavalry force for anything that's a historic allies, which is not a lot anymore, but it does really help. Yeah. Um, again, when you consider 
especially on the evil side, like the range of uh, and the average cost of, of, of cavalry models that are on offer. I mean, I suppose by comparison, you might look at, say, Serpent Guard or Serpent Riders, sorry, or the Harajan Raiders. I mean, they're all roughly around the same cost. Uh, maybe Wag Riders, again, uh, put a shield and a throwing weapon there, again, roughly around the same cost. And I suppose in the more expensive tier, you begin to get into the realms of the Cataphracts and the Morgan Knights. Uh, probably forgetting something in there. Um, but by comparison, 13 points, you get a ranged weapon, you get uh, you know, a weapon that you can piercing strike with, increasing your strength. Uh, you get a dagger as well, so if you want, you can faint. And there is the option there to go two-handed should you need to. Yeah, no, I really like the options. It's got all the war gear options you really want. Um, you don't get a shield, but you don't care about a shield on horse. It's shield on the infantry is what you want. You don't have that. That's unfortunate. But shield on a horse, who cares? Like, it's because you can't shield. So just being able to have all those options to, to go two-handed, if you really need to, to assist, say, your Kardish king, you want to go in and take down a dwarf hero, you really want to do those wounds. So you can go two-handed weapons. You've got your bow so you can harass at long range if you want to play that sort of game. You've got your dagger because you've got your fight four. So two cavalry models charge in. If you don't want to lower your defense, you can just get one to, to faint and the other one to fight normally. You can get one to pierce and one to faint if you wanted to. Mm. It really does work. Good combination, good amount of choices for it. And for, as we said, a quite a reasonable price. The 13 points for fight four cav is, is perfect. That's exactly the amount you want to pay for that kind of output. Yeah, certainly. You make a good point there, Jeremy. Um, regarding yeah, the versatility of, especially the, like the special strikes. Um, again, depending on your the opponent's model, perhaps that you're charging at. If it's the um, sort of the key, um, you know, defense four, defense six, or defense eight bracket where you can piercing strike. Um, you know, why not piercing strike with the two models or the three models you have in there? Especially when they're probably often either shielding, or if they win the fight, they can really only strike one model. So. Um, yeah, it's great. Oh, it's just just very helpful to be able to to manipulate that and, and get the strength to line up for even numbers. So when you you do take on those defense six guys or or, or the defense eight Iron Hill shield wall, you can you can <laughs> cut through it pretty quickly. Yep, yep. Uh, I suppose that now moves us to the charioteer. Mm-hmm, yes. Okay, so charioteer on the charioteer, of course. Movement ten, fight four, shoot value four, strength three. Uh, defense four, uh, one attack, one wound, courage three. Uh, of course, comes with the chariot model, which has its own profile also, um, which I believe is the 10-inch movement. And then it has a defense value of seven and wounds value of three. And, of course, I believe it has a courage value of three as well, which is interesting. And it might <laughs> go into detail as to how that or how or when that's come into uh, play and my games with them yeah. um and of course it comes with a vast array of rules um a whole page's worth for a you know a troop unit which is somewhat unheard of or very rare at least in the profiles throughout the, the multiple books so i believe the first rule is a defensive bulwark uh which is more or less uh, in the way so similar to the lexus i believe it's the iron hills chariot uh when the chariots are shot at or when charioteers are shot at uh you roll it in the way on a five up you'll hit the rider and of course you roll a wound uh and of course a one to four you'll hit the chariot defense seven three wounds it's going to take a lot of um sort of shooting 
firepower to take out a chariot. <laughs> uh, however, of course, with the charioteer being defense four and one wound, um, again, if you hit the charioteer and you manage to roll that, you know, four, five, or you know, four or five in most cases with your range weapon, then uh, you know that's a big, big thirty point loss there. But it, it's great the five plus certainly um, it saved save my skin a lot of times as opposed to the normal four plus for shooting a, a rider of a mount it also has a big long rule regarding movement um and so chariot is a unique in that regard in that uh before you move you've got one of two options uh you can either forego all movement to pivot again chariots on 60 mil bases so pivot uh and face it to um your desired direction of course um that may result in you negating any further movement at turn depending on whether you pivot uh further than 45 degrees in either direction uh if if you if you don't then you can move up to three inches pivot again up to 45 direct uh, 45 degrees in either direction and move again another three and so on till you've spent your 10 inches um of course there's rules i believe similar to the likes of the mama kill which uh regards other models and terrain whilst pivoting so something on the lines of uh if other models um hinder the pivoting sort of uh phase you are able to move them um, a certain distance. And likewise, the terrain hinders your pivoting uh, action. You're able to move away from the terrain, um, I suppose, agreed upon distance with you and your opponent. Um, following that, though, again, moving up to three inches every time and then pivoting, allowing you to pivot up to 45 degrees uh, until you've spent your 10 inches or, I guess, until you've uh, wished to move no further. The pivot's interesting as well because you wouldn't um, – it's a round base, so it shouldn't really get in the way, I don't think. Yeah. Um, they have. I have had some odd situations with it. Uh, and, of course, it's sort of um, the mechanic where people sometimes say, oh, have you brought your protractor with you sort of thing? And, you know, being uh, facetious of sorts. Um, yes. But the way I work it out is – I guess visually is defined in 90 degree angle. So if, if you imagine that the horses are, of course, the front of the chariot, um, find a 90 degree either on the left or the right, and then sort of, I guess, get a laser pointer or a tape measure or a ruler and sort of find the halfway mark there. And that is sort of the full 45. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, opponents can be a little bit irked by that at times. And so, you know, if there's an issue in that regard, certainly bring it up if you're playing against them or maybe ask your opponent, are you happy with that pivot here and there? Uh, so certainly to keep them uh, in good spirits. Yeah. Oh yeah. You want to keep in good spirits because every time you run into the model, you're hitting them with a couple strength four hits, aren't you? Yeah. So uh, every time I believe the wording is uh, whenever a chariot comes or moves into base contact with a friendly or opponent's model, uh, they dish out, two strength four hits uh and of course if it's a cavalry model that affects both the rider and the mount which is pretty devastating should you then rem- uh, kill that model or models uh they're then removed and you may continue to uh keep moving and 
can you continue to uh, distribute more more damage, more or less, which, uh, again, very, very devastating. It is. It can be a bit hit and miss. The two strength four hits either does like heaps and heaps and heaps, it seems like, or very little. But the nice thing about this army is because you've, you're probably going to have more than one chariot, you're not so worried about that. Whereas something like a Mumak or an Iron Hills chariot, you've only got the one. So if you do the, the roll all the ones on an attack, Thing, it, it stops you dead. Whereas the two strength four hits, I think it's enough here that, that it starts to make a mess of things. And you can also hit your own models occasionally. So sometimes if you need to just clear a pathway or um, reduce your army to a certain number, or you really want to get at an arm, uh, like a model that's being screened by your own guys, they've charged a guy to lock them in, you can just run into your own guys, which is pretty handy at times and also very fun and evil. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you nailed it there, Jeremy. It's certainly the epitome of evil running over your own guys to hit your opponent's models. Um, I've certainly done that a, a few times. To, again, <laughs> like you say, mate, uh, you know, hit that arc or hit that um, trajectory, um, which, which is great fun, yeah. There's some pleasure, isn't there? Because I've been playing a lot of Mumak lately, and basically when you, you look at it, you line up a banner or something like that, and there's a screen of your own guys in front of it, and you sort of you think once, is it worth it, is it worth it? The answer is it's always worth it, and you set yeah. it straight forward and you see how far you can get. Yeah, it's good Couldn't fun. agree more. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> and I, I suppose it's a unique dynamic in that regard as well. Like off the top of my head, I can think of maybe is it four or five that have a similar dynamic. So sort of a, a, a distributing damage uh, whilst moving. Um, so what the warm camel comes to mind, of course, the mimic uh, yeah. chariots and then the Iron Hills chariots. And also the troll this. brute does a similar thing as well. Troll brute. Yeah. So again, um, it's a dynamic not often seen. Did we mention and... Gorgoroth Beast? That's the, that's the other one. Great. Ah, oh, that is the one. Yep, yep. So it's five or six um, with that sort of dynamic. I suppose oh, you could make the comparison maybe to say the throwing spear but, or, or, you know, throwing weapon, but, you know, it's a single strength three or two weapon off, uh, hit often as opposed to, say, you know, multiple uh, strength four plus strikes. And, and seeing them, you know, getting a good run and maybe taking out you know, three, four, five, ten models, if you're fortunate, uh, can be, you know, quite demoralizing to your opponents. So, again, certainly uh, being somewhat, I suppose, compassionate or considerate when uh, when moving those chariots, uh, it helps. Compassionate or considerate. Oh, you guys are too nice. We don't do that <laughs> over here. We, we go straight forward and just rip people apart. That's that's yeah. part of the fun. And, and the way I played against you, and we'll definitely go through this game at some point, I don't actually think you're that compassionate about it. I think uh, there's an excitement for running chariots right over people. And look, it's a bit exciting for both people because occasionally when you survive one, the cheer goes up that you stop it. But it's it's absolute devastation. I've got a question for you, Josiah. The Karnish Charioteer at 30 points for a warrior model, how often do you take that one? I suppose... There's two, I guess, list builds in which you might take it, and at least that I've seen it taken in. Uh, I recall watching uh, one of the Warhammer, might have been GTs or Throne of Scales one year, and one guy had taken, you know, two kings and like 15 charioteers, and I was like, oh, that is epic. Like, and <laughs> of course, thematically, he's playing against Rohan, and I was like, ah. Oh, that is so cool. And he was just running over his own chariots as well to get, get all those strikes off. And, like, I can see there's certainly the fun in that and, you know, watching it from an aerial perspective. But one of the downsides to that is, you know, that's 17, 60 mil bases, right? And then add terrain on, you know, your 4x4, four 6x4. Four, four, and what soon happens is there's not a lot of room to move. 
of course, I suppose the counter to that is, well, you can run over your own guys, um, which which is great. Um, but I suppose to the the alternative build, which would be having maybe uh, maybe two charioteers, um, along with you know rider and foot troops and your heroes, and just to have that you know the extra punch on the charge should you need it. And again, if, if you need to get a hero through and your charity is being, you know, immobilized or compelled or what have you, you can just run over them and then hit your opponent's lines and, you know, devastate. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm, I want to toy around it. I'm definitely going to paint up. My, my plan is I've got at the moment um, the king and the two generic chariots pretty well close to ready to go because that's what the old, old scenario needed. I'm looking at getting, I've got seven in total, so I'm looking at going... Oh. Going maybe two kings, three chiefs, and then the two normal guys, and seeing what I can play around with that one. But I do think they've got their uses. But I feel like you buy the heroes ones first, and then these guys are sometimes can be used for all kinds of things, like a little reserve. They can be used for the 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 baiting. So if you send a chariot out that you want someone to chase around and get really excited about killing, you can go sacrifice one of these because thirty points sounds like a lot, but it's really only two cavalry models or three infantry models. It's not. It's not the end of the world if you go and lose it, and it's still got the same punch as the other ones on the the move. Yes, certainly, uh, and you're totally right there. And I've, I've certainly utilised that tactic a number of times. Um, yeah, baiting your opponent, and especially when it comes to deployment, like you put it way out on the flank, and they go, "Oh, or I can take that out easy," and they, you know, throw their mid tier, or if you're fortunate, they throw their big tier hero into it, and then. You know, that's two turns, three turns, if you're lucky, that they're sort of bogged down in that situation, and then you just begin to rip through the rest of their army. Yeah, no, it's exciting stuff, and it's such a nice model, and such just, like, 30 points for such an intimidating warrior model, I think is always worth it, because anytime you can get something that people have to react to, because they know what it could do, is always a bit of a win. It puts you on the front foot. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, and like, like I discussed there, the alternative is all chariots, some chariots so however uh, again depending on how many chariots you own of course um (laughs) however you decide to play it they're they're good fun either way absolutely now just before we move on to our next segment i just wanted to mention the evil alliance with uh, in terms of variags so their special rule only works for them or for when they're allied with the easterlings so that's the alliance where you get to have basically your your army of horsemen they, they've yep. they've only got the one green. So evil's evil's a bit sparse on the green, but they are yellow with corsairs of umbar. The yellow with far harried, which is an interesting combination. That could be fun. They're allies with Isen, yellow with Isengard, which is strange because that seems pretty far away from for me. Yellow with Mordor, yellow with Goblin Town, which is always funny. We used to laugh about this one because years ago they were mercenaries, and the idea of them merc- like joining up with some underground warriors was always amusing and they're also yellows with the serpent horde so they've got a fair bit of mixtures they're red with a whole bunch of others you could probably take them at red alliance if you really wanted to as well but you do depends on your army mix and we'll look into that a bit later as well but green with just the easterlings yep um and i I honestly think that's the best um alliance i mean yeah some interesting yellow alliances sure maybe with regard to war the ring or if you want to think back to the Wayne Riders, maybe historically, uh, the Isengard and the Goblin Town one is quite amusing. But yeah, green with the Eastlings, and of course, then you get both their army bonuses with again 100% bows when mounted with a calm, and then the plus one courage, I think it is, when broken, and the chance to re roll a game ending dice with the Eastlings. Yeah, yeah, as long as you have the 25% Eastlings, which of course you will. 
Yeah, yeah. And so when they're allied with the Eastlings, yeah, you're more or less playing with your, you know, your shield ball block or, you know, pike blocks, that's how you want to play it. And then you've got your flanks covered by your chariots and your riders typically, which, again, having played that at about a thousand points and winning a tournament with a good friend of mine, it proved incredibly well. Yeah, played really well. I've I've taken that sort of list in the last edition as well. I had my Kandish King and a bunch of, of riders with some uh, cataphracts, but then a big uh, infantry block of Easterlings, and it, it, it did its job really well because I was able to, to dodge around with the Khan and, and bait them forward and then pin a whole bunch of the arm with the blocks while my chariot went to work. Mm, yeah, I've, I've contemplated on that note. Uh, yeah, fully mounted list, you have cataphracts, maybe Amdur or Kamul on Falbis with the likes of a mounted Khan force and sort of touch on this point when you come to tactics um, you lose a lot of numbers as a result of going down that pathway which is sort of key especially with a pure calm list is what I've found you absolutely do I, I, um, I've got a way I like to, to, to exp- I've been exploring and playing around with that idea as well and it's it's pretty much an Easterling army with a, a Chikandish chariot sprinkled in essentially and some friends like it's not really much of a Khan flavor for it. The, the Ally Alliance is interesting in that I was very surprised that Mordor wasn't green. It really, because the whole um, Fields of Calibrant where you had the Orcs and the the Varags together seemed like a perfect opportunity to have some, some green alliances. Just having some generic Orc like chieftains and some Kandish chieftains and a Kandish king together seemed like a reasonable army. So that's the one that I find really interesting because there's not actually a lot of heroes of valor in the Mordor list. So with the new alliance rules, that one's a little bit of a tricky one and a bit of a surprise that it wasn't, didn't get the green nod. Yeah. Um, I certainly have written many lists um, with the likes of Mordor as the yellow alliance. I like the idea of sort of playing on that theme with the likes of the Great Beast combined in there with chariots sort of running around it. I've got this um, plan. I've currently got two Great Beasts um, sort of sitting on those shelves uh, <laughs> um, in need of some uh, tension. Um, I've got this idea of converting the Great Beasts into like a an Easterling sort of, um, I guess, war caravan or war elephant of sorts and like putting the Eastling shield and the Eastling bowmen on it and then allying in uh, some Karnas chariots or even like I've seen some people do of late is convert the chariots into Eastling chariots with the armored horses and, and the bowmen on the top, which look really cool. Um, sort of reminds me of sort of Persian-esque armies um, with you know armored elephants and, and chariots on the rest. But um, yeah, certainly... Certainly a lot of ideas floating around up there of, you know, future projects um, that could be done. <laughs> oh, there's, there's some good ones. Maybe we'll get to some of those when we do some of uh, the list because they all sound like a lot of fun. Okay, well, that's, that's our Know Thine Enemy, and we're going to move on very shortly to Keep It Secret, Keep It Safe. Keep it 
And now we move on to keep it secret, keep it safe with Kandish Tactics. Now, I'm going to start this one off, Josiah, with my experience against your very Khan, because I was on the receiving end of this army. We were in Arctic. Arda Unleashed. Uh, Matt and I had a doubles list, a fantastic doubles list. Dane Ironfoot leading some Iron Hills Dwarves, allied with some Dale because Lachlan allowed us to ally it for the war in the north uh, with uh, Brand, and which we took as Girion. And we were pretty confident going into this. We had won three games. Some of them were good. Some of them were, were close wins. But we were very confident. We saw Khand and weren't too unhappy about it because our experience against Khand in the past was that yeah, they hit pretty hard, but they go down really quickly. And we've got Iron Hills dwarves and and fantastic men of Dale. They, these these brave men and brave dwarves are not going to succumb to this Kandish thing. So we basically we set up, and I can't even remember what the scenario was. It was it was one of those domination. Ba- domination. Okay, so we set up a bit far back, and I thought I was being so clever. So I'm like, okay, set out out of range of the chariots. So we did. We set up over ten inches away. Yep, we're all good. We're we're all fine. We're gonna have a turn to maneuver, and we're gonna go hard at the flank of one chariot. And first turn, you called what seemed like, and you and Julia were the doubles group, you called what seemed like about seven or eight marches, which is probably only one march, but it felt like a lot to us. And then our hearts sank a bit and went, oh, oh no. They can get into combat first turn. And that's what you did. Pushed them forward. Got into combat. We got dwarves. We were okay. No. You started pushing through the dwarves. Okay, this is a bit of a worry. We've got Dane Ironfoot. He'll be able to take on a chariot. Kandish King came in, ran into Dane Ironfoot, and he was all right. He, he tanked the charge. But then the, the ensuing combat phase, Dane Ironfoot, pride of the Iron Hills, one of the strongest dwarves around. Um, he was about 250 years old by that point, but he was one of the strongest dwarves around. Died in one hit, one shot, to a single, unnamed... What was the Kandish King's name? Surely he had a name. Dave. Dave, Dave, <laughs> that's it, Dave, come on, <laughs> Dave, the, the Carnage David King. Mag- Magnanimous. David Magnanimous, the uh, anonymous Carnage King, managed to, to kill Dane Ironfoot in one turn. And at that point, this, is, this rarely happens in a double game. In a double game, I'm normally under control. But this was my plan, my setup. I had it under control. I turned to Matt and went, you take over, Matt. I'm out of ideas. <laughs> My Dane has been taken out by a chariot. And look, we fought it out, and we, we in the end, we had some chances to pull a draw, maybe if we were lucky on some other rolls. But we were just shocked at the damage output that those chariots did and the difficulty in taking them down. Because in the past, you've been able to just hunt the riders and take them down pretty pretty easily. Like you put all your attacks on the rider. But now you've either got to pretty much choose to go at the chariot or go at the rider, which you always got the rider because they're the lower defense and they're the ones that, that matter. But two-thirds of your hits are going on the chariot and, and stuffing up. So even if you win the combat against the Fight Five Chieftain or King on a chariot, you're in a bit of trouble. And the Strength Four hits do a lot of damage, a lot more than I expected. So we were absolutely taken off the table in that game and, and very impressed by the output of these Carnish chariots. Yeah, no, no it, was a, it was a great game. And, of course, meeting you both for the first time, you know, being um, quite the formidable two or oh, many online and your presence within the game and the hobby was great. And I sort of had to, had a bit of a fan moment. And I turned to Julia. I was like, you know, that's Matt and Jeremy from Green Dragon, right? She's like, yes, yes, yes. I, know, I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I was still a little bit, a little bit starstruck um, there in that moment. But of course, yeah, coming up against your gorgeous army there, um, uh, Jeremy and gorgeous models and very thematic, of course. Um, 
Uh, and like Jeremy said, uh, there were a number of different uh, legendary legions that uh, Lockyer had allowed. And so we had a Wayne Riders list. And so um, we had a couple of special rules in there. We had to have a certain amount of, of our troops mounted and subsequently dismounted or on foot. Um, we had a couple of rules which proved um, and sort of added to that damage output. I believe we had some long lines of uh, the one that is found in the battle companies, the, the army rule there with the two-handing. Um, if you charge for free, which um, was pretty huge for us across the doubles day there in four games. Um, and But we had this really neat and very thematic rule, which was to do with the kings and the rivalries, because in our list we had two kings. We had the wolf king, and we had a dragon king that I'd sort of meticulously painted uh, sort of emblems on their banners, uh, slaving away of the models that we we pay for. Uh, t- you know, too much time <laughs> slaving away doing that. <laughs> Anyhow, it was good fun. Enjoyed the theme. And these kings had a rivalry. And um, what that meant was that um, whenever the leadership changed, or they had a kill tally, that's right, a kill tally. And whenever the leadership would change, so one would kill more than the others, the, mat- the mantle of leader would change and it would go to the other one. Uh, and then whoever was pledged to the Wolf King, so the Wolf Banner troops, they had to all take courage tests. Uh, and subsequently, the same would happen if it was swapped back to the Dragon King and take courage tests. Um, uh, but what that also meant and was pretty big for us is that the, the rival king, so the one that wasn't the leader at the time, could call a free heroic combat every turn. Um, again, the Legion, Lockyer allowed it. So... Um, any, I can hear all you power gamers in the background sort of sighing and, and yarning, yawning. So, again, you can direct uh, your, your hate towards him. Um, <laughs> anyhow. Uh, but, yes, no, uh, we'd, we'd come in, we'd won two games, and we played a really tough game against uh, some quality opponents. Um, and uh, the two Andrews, I believe they were, they had a Sauron and um, some... Uh, what else, a curtain and all the rest, and they were throwing Sauron across the table because there were legendary heroics and all the rest. And it was, it was, <laughs> was uh, silly. Very, very interesting, to say the least. But yes, no, we deployed uh, as domination. Of course, um, as we all know now, the game is won or lost um, with regard to who holds the most objectives. So you can utterly demoralize your opponent, remove all their models from the board, but they might be sitting on three of the objectives and they could win the game. So again, coming in, I saw the Iron Dwarf, Iron Hill Dwarf, and was a little skittish. And I go, oh, we're going to bounce right off those. But I said to Julia, you know, we'll, we'll go on with our tactics. We'll do our thing. We'll do our thing. Um, I saw the Dale, gorgeous looking Dale. I was like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll get lucky and, we could get a couple of them if we're watching it, of course. Then seeing Dane, sort of my leg or my knee began to shake. We deployed on our flanks like we've been doing. Uh, there were woods in the way and whatnot. So again, with the pivoting rulers we've previously discussed, we had to pivot that efficiently. But I believe, yes, at first we called two marches. So we had two kings and two chieftains. We called two marches, one with either our chieftain that were on either our flanks, pushed up hard as we could. Uh, I believe at least from our side, our left flank hit first. Um, so we called that march so we could get as many characters in as we can. Uh, and as I thought would happen, uh, we bounced right off the first time. Uh, I don't think we, we killed a single one of your models there, Jeremy, that first turn. Oh, and yeah, then, that's right, yeah. <laughs> and then mis- mistakenly, I left a big open gap for Dane to come running in, and I was like, all right, here we go, here we go. Um, and then he had some good shooting there that first turn as well. Garion was pretty scary um, with his you know, rapid-fire strength four bow. I think you, you copped a wound on our leader. 
Uh, and again, when the Kings lose a wound with two wounds, yeah, it's, uh, it's a big call. It's like, do you fade it? Do you take it? And of course, our leader, it's like, oh, well, if we take it, it's a BP sort of thing, you know, final table, playing for a podium place. So all these things are going through my head. Um, so we get him there, clash lines, Dane comes in. Uh, we do our shooting. I th- think uh, you do some wounds. Maybe we do some wounds. Um, and sort of what wound up being the, yeah, the, the moment of the, t- uh, of the game, I suppose it was. We came down to the heroic strike-off between the King and, and Dane. Um, we were, of course, going two-handed with our special rule. You know, the, the, the roll-off comes. And you're like, oh, because we're only fight five at this stage. And we're like, oh, we need a roll of five, which, you know, whatever the odds are, one-third to do that. Um, and Dane being higher, so 50-50 to get there. And we roll a five. It's like, oh, nice, nice. I'm feeling, feeling a little bit more at ease. And then uh, Jeremy, unfortunately, proceed to roll a um, one, I believe it was. Yeah, that, that's my main tactic for Heroic Strike. I like to, to power up the dice, get it all ready to go, <laughs> and then roll the one just to see Matt's face in a doubles game, look at disappointment <laughs> for it. So um, it definitely worked there. Yeah, I, th- I think I saw his face change a few shades there. But, um, <laughs> you know, as you do as the, the, the great opponents you were and are, uh, you know, took it in your stride. You're like, all right, we've still got the roll, still got the roll. And we see you there, and we're very much surrounded with our king. And, and uh I think you guys had like 20 dice or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. I'm like, uh, Julie, just, just roll the dice, just roll the dice. Like, you know, save, save them having to organize all that. And of course, uh, she, she pulls through and rolls a six. And, um, I was like, oh, nice, nice. You don't have to burn any more might. That, that's relieving. Um, and of course, that's when the, the knockdown rollers we've mentioned in passing sort of came into play. And my interpretation at the time was, you know, we're a monstrous creature knock everyone down um so that's how we played it um can discuss that more in a little little oh yeah little time. <laughs> but you know dane gets dismounted and so, okay right well we're going two-handed that means we essentially got eight attacks so i'm like okay julie you know roll your dice do your thing do you think i think she proceeds to roll four wounds on the first lot of four dice three sixes and a five and i was kind of like looked at her and <laughs> turned, turned face a little bit like oh, all right okay Okay, and so um, you guys rolled some fate, I think it was, um, managing to pass uh, two, I believe it was. So you would have been on a single wound left, if I recall. Uh, so I was like, oh, well, that's probably the best outcome we could have asked for. I mean, I mean, even if we lose this game at this point, you know. Um, and so Julia takes another two dice, you know, up to six now, proceeds to roll another two wounds. <laughs> yep. I was like, oh, okay, all right, if, if, that's great. Um, and then I recall we had uh, yeah, yeah, another two dice, and I was like, oh, well, there's a, there's a cheeky captain in there. Um, and what does she proceed to do? Roll two sixes to win? And I was like, oh, okay, all right, well, you can play this game now. And, you know, walked off. No, I didn't, I didn't walk off. I was just, like, quite gobsmacked. Um, and I think you guys had to use a fate there and uh, managed to survive, though. But, again, you know, what an outcome. Turn one, like, first combat of the game, just utterly utterly demoralized with, with with dane being moved um away and I was sort of beginning to feel I was like, oh, okay all right um there's still a lot of guys here a lot of dwarfs uh it's still a bit of might in there that's still pretty scary and then yeah we was, we sort of chugged on and um like you said at the end we were we were playing on the amon hen board that's right and there was an amon hen ruin we had the objective up there so it's trying to climb up there but you guys were fighting us off and then Near the end, I remember you guys pulled around. You got a couple of objectives, and um, I think the game ended there at that point. 
But um, yeah, it certainly came down to that one combat and that one strike off, and then of course <laughs> that whole lot of wounds, which was ridiculous. Um, I also remember rolling some silly dice myself, but yeah, we won't go into that. It was it was a great game, of course, and it was great to meet you and um, play against your awesome army there and have a fun old game. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, it definitely was, and we can talk about the dice rolls, but we were silly enough to put in that situation where that could happen. So in, in hindsight, afterwards, if we really wanted to play it well, we should have never let that happen. So anytime you put yourself in a point of all when a model can charge in and kill your leader, if he, if he charges in and kill your leader, that's probably on you for letting that happen rather than on the dice. So it, it was a fantastic run of sixes, but I don't begrudge the, the tactics for it. You definitely caught us by surprise with the march. We went, okay, how are we going to deal with this? We'll go all in on one of the chariots and took a gamble and, and failed on the gamble and then um, played it out and, and took some more gambles later on and, and had some some success, but just not enough. That initial charge was was enough with the taking out Dane and, and hurting the captain so much to, to win it. It was a fantastic game, a really good story there. And look, I think that's a fitting end for Dane, quite frankly. If he dies to a Carnage <laughs> King, I'm all right with that. So I can live with that. Yeah. If he dies to like a lonely orc, I'm not happy. But a Carnage <laughs> King, that's a, that's a story. Yeah, it's something similar to what was written with regard to the Eastlings or something like that. And you're fighting over, was it uh, Bran's body or something like that? Yes, exactly. I, re- I don't recall exactly, but yeah. No, that no, was very thematic. And, yeah, Bran yeah, died. Enjoyable. We got in the wrong order. You should have killed Bran first. But Bran died, <laughs> and Dane sort of went out and said, I'm going to charge and, and defend his body. So defended his body against the, the Wayne Rider, Eastling, Carnish invasion for a long time, but then eventually succumbed to it. This one was a bit of a compacted version of that because he didn't survive very long, but it was it was a good story. Now, in terms of your tactics, is that similar to how you normally play? Would you normally, if you had the chance, go for that big hit early on? Uh, it really depends on the scenario, and this is sort of like one of the major tactics, or at least reactions I've found from a lot of my opponents, is especially ones I've played frequently with the likes of the Chariots, is there's a big psychological fear factor to how you deploy from the get-go. If someone lays down one or two chariots, yeah, they might they might be like, oh, okay, all right. But if someone lays down five or six chariots, like I think we had there in our game, certainly what I've noticed is that opponents go, ooh, how am I going to fight this, let alone how am I going to deploy for this scenario? So usually one of two things happens. Usually... Depending on the force, they'll go all the way back to the back of the board. Again, depending on the deployment, of course. Um, or they'll deploy right on the center mark. And they'll try get territory and sort of push the envelope there in that regard. If the opponent typically deploys back, yeah, that's when I'll deploy on the center and I'll be incredibly aggressive. And that might mean having to take one, possibly two turns worth of shooting. Um what I'll often do is I can march first turn, obviously to a point where I'm out of their charge range for a following turn. If it means I have to march again the second turn, I'll do that. And subsequently, what that allows me to do is gives me almost total board control most of the time, um, which is, is a huge factor, especially because in those situations, it's your chariots that are pushing forward. And you might have your horse in, in reserve and behind and sort of back you up for like, you know, peeling off models for counter charges and so forth. But what that then means, depending on your list build, and le- at least the way that I try to build, is that most of your infantry is behind. And the way I, I try to build my list these days is to have ha- at least half of my force on foot so that 
should you lose half your models from potentially being over aggressive? You're not going to break. And then again, if it's a sort of an area control game, then all your infantry models generally on those, you know, uh, objectives and so forth. So that, that that's one at least observation that I've made in terms of deployment and how your opponent reacts to you know playing Khan. Of course, the other when they deploy right on the center line, then you can sit back. You can sit out of ten inch range uh, or or twelve if they've got you know flying beasts or dragons or what have you. And then it really comes down to that first priority. Like if they, if you win, I will usually call a march. Again, apply the same sort of pressure. Go, you know, straight up the gut sometimes, uh, or on either flanks, left and right, and try to pincer my opponent. If they win priority, well, it's really on them. I mean, in many occasions, I've sort of experienced them sitting there for ten, you know, five, ten. In Lockie's case, an hour, <laughs> deliberating, you know, how and where to move. Love you, Lockie. Looking forward to our next game. Yeah. So. In that regard, if they win, I'll typically call a march as well. That might mean they move backwards. That's okay. That then allows me to apply pressure and gain more, t- you know, board control. Or that that may, might mean they move into like a ruin or like a woods. That's still fine. That means a good deal of their army is sort of consolidated on you know the tiniest little bit of terrain, and then that still gives me a whole heap of board control. So there's very much that psychological factor even before you put down models, like as to how you might approach the army. There's the one thing is like knowing that they do damage on when when they come to contact, but there's the next sort of level that knowing that they can do that when they march, and certainly at the likes of Arda and Leash, I was fortunate to catch out some of my opponents with that um, that element of the rule. Uh, of course, they played really well and sort of adapted well to 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 that, following, you know, learning that they can do that. Um, but again, it's that little trick, unless you've read the fine print and you've sort of contemplated the potential damage output and sort of maneuverability and the flexibility that the chariots bring, that... Uh, you know, if you don't know that, then you're certainly going to get caught out. Yeah, it's definitely a, a bit of a gotcha army where if you haven't played against it, it it's it gives that that fear factor. And I've I definitely know that feeling from both sides. I know know it play against it, but I've been, as I said before, I've been playing with my my Mulmek and Cavalry army, which is a similar idea where it can can move so fast and can be so aggressive or so defensive that that people don't know what to do again. And and when they don't know what to do, that's when you've almost won the game immediately because they do this sort of half where they, they half go forward, half go back or go at something really hard, but not quite enough. And it's the decisive opponents that you're worried about. The ones that are indecisive and don't know what to do, you usually can take advantage of it because you know the army. Mm, yeah, certainly. Like we sort of touched on before as well, like uh, when I do play with the likes of charioteers, typically I might put one or maybe both depending on which warband they're in, out on, on the far flank. And, you know, like most scenarios that require you to alternate deployment, an opponent might typically put a warband out there. So I might try and bait them with, say, that charioteer, maybe maybe near or within range at times of the hero on the first move uh, as to suck them in. And, of course, that typically will take all that, you know, that resource away from the middle where... Again, most of the action typically may be happening. So that's certainly one tactic. Another tactic, again, and it's just down to the basic mechanics of the game, is like 
again, I'll often very much play aggressive with these guys. And if I'm going for, say, a, a, you know, pincer maneuver, like whether I've hit the lines already or whether I'm about to, it often comes down to those heroic roll-offs, right? And, you know, we're, we're all well experienced and know how those interact. But again, depending on how the opponent has deployed, if they've, you know, deployed a line or a pike block or multiple lines and pike block, you're going to get one flank hitting them. So you call multiple heroic moves, typically, you know, whoever wins the roll of wins, um, you know, whether they charge you or whether you charge them in first, you're going to get one of your sides hitting and it's going to, you know, it's going to dish out some damage. So that's one element I like. And I'm always guaranteed that in, in a sort of a heroic um, roll-off situation. It's like, well, well, I'm well spread out. I'll take the left flank or I'll take the right. So, yeah, that's one another sort of cheeky tactic and um, just just general mechanics within the game that benefit them. Yeah, there's definitely some options there. And because you've got, you've got a good amount of speed, so you can definitely adjust if you need to. In terms of turning the chariots, do you find it hard to, to get them out of trouble if they're, they're in there? Do you... Like when I played the Iron Hills Chariot, my issue was always that if I if I once I chose its path, I pretty much was locked to its path. I had to go that way because turning it around took way too long. So you had to take the full turn to spin it around, um, and it was not maneuverable enough to make the turn because you've got so many forty five degree turns. Do you have a problem with that, or do you is is that an issue where with the chariots if you're facing them forward, they're they're going forward? Yeah, you certainly um, sort of nailed that point there, Jeremy, with regard to moving and moving in a specific direction and. Yeah, a lot of my opponents have said they're a trickery army in that regard. <laughs> Essentially deploy them at the get-go and that's your set trajectory for the game, more or less. That They go forward, right? And they stop not all that often, uh, depending on what's put in front of them. So yeah, you put your models down and they pretty much just go forward. You can sort of do over a couple of turns like a 360 or, of course, then forfeit your turn, turn them around. That is, as I've found, like one of the disadvantages to the army. Um and it occurs at most point levels, say 500 points and above, especially if you're running, say, four or five plus chariots, is typically you're going to be deploying across the whole, you know, four foot board edge. You're not going to be concentrated like some armies can do on one half of the board or one third or in the woods or in, in some difficult terrain. You, you're deploying more or less in a line across the whole four foot board. Um, you know, infantry, horsemen, chariots, the lot. In saying that, yes, it's an army that goes forward, but it's an incredibly fast. And, and, and again, especially since the latest edition has come out, I cannot emphasize the importance of of speed in this game and the flexibility to like for chariots, especially with a march and, you know, cavalry models and even, you know, infantry with a march and how much that brings to the game. And like, like I sort of previously explained, like depending on how your opponent deploys, of course, the deployment mechanics, typically in most games, by turn two or three, I've got 80 to 90% of the board control. And, I, and I'm in there, you know, 10, 20, 30% of the board. I mean, that's huge, especially if it's like an area control mission mm, or, yeah. um, you know, like a, uh, you know, get off the other board edge or what have you. It, it, it's devastating. 
Oh, it's exciting stuff. Yeah, it, it is definitely an, an aggressive army. It's it, You can hold it back for a little bit and, and wait, but at some point you're going to go essentially all in and just hit and hit and hit, and then if your opponent survives that, they've got a chance, but a lot of times they won't because you're just doing so much so much impact hits, and impact hits are really uh, devastating because they get around all these things like fight bonuses and all this sort of stuff that you, you get, or like an yeah. Army of the Dead terror rule. You just walk right through them because you don't charge into them, and mm. these sort of armies that that designed to, to win combats oftentimes don't even get into combats. So you've got some some real ability there as an army, and, and you've got some options for allies as well later on. Now, I wanted to go through decide the monstrous charge rule because this has caused some debate, I know, in our area, and I, you mentioned to me off-air that it has in yours as well. So the rule for the monstrous charge from the rule book basically means that uh, when you charge into combat, you get the knock to the ground and extra attack bonuses as if you were cavalry. No problem. But there are a couple exceptions, and this is where the problem happens. Uh, so the, this, I'm going to try and read this out if I can, but it's a bit of a mess of a sentence, to be honest. Um, this model will knock to the ground any model that it charges, comma, including cavalry or monster models, comma, with a lower strength value than it, comma, even if the charge model has strength of six or higher. So this, because there's so many commas in this one, is really hard to work out what they actually mean. So there's two ways that people have read this. And basically that is that if you get the knock to the ground only if you have a higher strength than the model. So if you have a higher strength than the model you're charging, so if you're going into Dane, you need to be at strength five in order to to get the knock to the ground bonus. Now the other reading of this is that you get to the knock to the ground, but you only get the one against uh, cavalry or monsters if you have the highest strength than it. So against infantry, you don't. Now, I'm not sure entirely which way it's read. Um, I would say that you always get the knockdown against infantry. Uh, do you agree with that one? Oh, yeah, completely. Yep. Yep. So basically what we're saying is if you go into a cavalry model, you need to have higher strength in it. Is that right? As I understand, and, and that's at least how we've began or begun to play it here. Certainly, friends, and you know, fair enough for them because they have to <laughs> have to play the army against it. Um, I've, I've been happy to play it in that that manner. Yeah. Okay. So, do you um, with the piercing? Does that mean that you can get the knockdown? So, say uh, in our game where we went into Dane, I think Dane's strength four and your strength four. That one, we, we weren't aware of this ruling for it. So if you were to do that, would you just pierce and would that sort it out? Or is that, um, because that happens in the fight phase, does that mean you don't get it? Well, it, um, that certainly would be my, you know, my, I suppose, theory on that or approach to it. Yes, I'll pierce if you're strength four and I'm therefore I'd be, uh, you know, higher strength allowing me to knock you down. Um, there's a couple of other sort of, situations in which uh, other friends playing different armies but with similar mechanics have done similar things. So I, I don't know the order in which um, I guess those dynamics take place. I suppose a comparison would be I've heard people using the likes of, say, uh, dragons with the, um, with their uh, monstrous charge. I think it is the same rule. Um, been charging into like monsters with higher strength but calling a heroic strength. Yeah. So my question is then, well, when does the strength have place? I mean, if I go and read the book, I don't have it on me, unfortunately, at this point. But if I read the book, it's probably there, like, which happens first, uh, and then would subsequently tell me if I could, if that's correct. And you can, knock, therefore, knock down that higher model with the higher strength if your strength goes higher than them. So 
yeah, I suppose rules isn't ten rules in Britain sort of uh, argument of sorts. Yeah, I would I would be happy for both those cases that that at the start of the combat you've already called a heroic strength, you've already called the piercing. Let's find out what your strength is at the start of the combat and then pick up our dice and say, okay, well you've charged into me and you've got a higher strength than me through whatever means. I would be happy with with you to get the charge bonus at that point, especially because you're spending resources or you're doing the disadvantage, so you're getting the piercing strike going, which can potentially hurt you your king later on. I think having the benefit there is reasonable, but I guess some scenes might interpret it differently where you don't get that bonus. It doesn't count towards it. So I'm not 100% sure on this one. It probably won't be FAQ'd anytime soon because I think Khan is one that doesn't show up very often. So it's not on the radar of, of the designers. So I think you might have to, this is one of those ones you might have to mention with your opponent just before it happens, just to avoid the fight. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, and again, that often looks like consulting the rule book. Um, and then coming to an agreed upon uh, approach to it. Uh, I wanted to add sort of one more uh, sort of tactic. And Ooh, yes, please again, do. It, it comes down to, uh, again, the scenarios, particularly the ones that involve um, the maelstrom deployment uh, dynamics, I suppose, or mechanics. And this is great. And it very rarely comes off. But when you do, you, you look at your opponent's face and you go, oh, man, <laughs> I feel for you. But deep down, you're like, yes you know feel this great sense of elation because typically again it comes down to the the priority role if of course they win the priority that means that they deploy first and so put their war bands on maybe one doesn't turn up too if they're unfortunate or maybe they don't all turn up if they've got a special rule or they blow their resources nevertheless if their models come on the table and then once they've deployed you go to roll your deployment that's when you go all and you use all your might to get in the specific pockets so depending if they've uh, deployed one warband on one, one edge, depending on their role, or they've got multiple. You just put two, three warbands with your chariots in there, and you go hard. And, you, and um, I, I, my best result when that came off the one time, <laughs> um, I think I ran over 20 models in the first turn. <laughs> uh, so I felt pretty pretty bad for my opponent, but he played it in good spirit, and um, he, he played hard to the very end which turned out to be a close game. But, of course, yeah, you, you deploy, and maybe you're on you know, one side, you get your two, your three warbands, um, and then you have your other warband, and you just run it to the middle, or you run it to the objectives to try pick it up, if, uh, depending on that scenario and uh, the objectives there. Um, alternatively, if you've got four warbands, which is very much how I like to play the list often, is you deploy in two armies or two, two slots. So a king and a chieftain, and then the king and the chieftain elsewhere. And again, when it comes off, <laughs> when you're able to run over models, um, which brings to thought another another time that happened, we came up against a Corsair and uh, Serpent Horde army. And of course, uh, those of us who are doing the stats are now here. That's a predominantly defense four army, and the chariots do two strength four hits. So again, fours to wound, which is a very rare occasion. Uh, I think on the first turn, we would have, yeah. We would have run on over 30 models, which was, yeah, pretty grim for our opponents. Absolutely, but that's that's exactly what you're going for. And that, that's the risk you take when you're taking a majority Defence 4 armies. You know that when you see the Chariot Army or any of those ones, that you're going to be up against it. So at least the Serpent Horde's got similar movement to you in that you can you can oftentimes get around that. But it is it is potentially devastating, those Corsair or Serpent, or any of the Defence 4 armies, some of the, the, the Pajama Elves or... 
or some of the men. Oh, nasty, nasty. So, Josiah, when we're playing against Khan, and I, I think if people listen this long, they deserve a little bit of help because this is sounding like a really scary army to face. What worries you more when you, when the enemy goes at your chariots with everything, or when they go at your support models with everything? Which one is puts you under more pressure? Do you think? It really depends on the scenario itself. And, of course, it just comes down to the deployment. I can't emphasize it enough how crucial that is and how, again, I'll, I'll use, I guess, a basketball reference here. I mean, it's very much, you know, the game we love is very much a game of moves, counter moves, and then, of course, finishing, right? So whether that's removing your opponent's models, getting off the board, or claiming an objective, that reaction that the opponent makes or attempts to make is, is what will very much then spark my reaction, of course. So, yeah, by all means, they can go for the chariots. That That is usually the first thing that hits the lines and, and absorbs a lot of their resources, be they heroes or, you know, their troops or monsters or so forth. Uh, or they can go for the troops. It honestly comes down to what the objectives are. Um, in most cases, though, what, what sort of gets me a little bit, or what gives me backpedaling um uh, monster armies uh in particular i had a really good game against a good friend of mine he had the um the wanderers in the wild with the birdies and radagast and uh Bayorn. and we were playing fog of war which is a fun mission i quite enjoy that and of course deployment is again it's huge especially when you win that roll off in that scenario and again against this army very specific um I sort of looked the board and you know saw some terrain options and uh, of course when I'm playing chariots I'm very much thinking about channels I'm very much thinking about how and where they can move and how and where they can move efficiently because like I explained before you're typically deploying across that four foot board edge you, you, you know you, there's not going to be a space that you're not deploying in usually in a straight line uh, or you know some forth some back so those channels for those chariots are incredibly crucial. So that makes me think of one particular game in Outer Unleashed where, again, there was a whole heap of trees, there were fences, there were houses, and not to mention my opponent had a really tough army. But I, I sort of looked at this board and, you know, not to be a defeatist of sort, but I kind of already knew that I would lose it, again, looking at my opponent's army, just as a result of the channels and... I suppose the lack thereof, the channels and the potential for my movement and devastating devastation I can cause or the chariots can cause. So I guess long way around your question there, Jeremy. Um, <laughs> it really depends on the objective, depends what you're coming up against. I've heard it said they, you know, they struggle against high defense models and or high strength models. Yes, they can. Again, in that case, if they're D7, you know, you're needing to roll a six. If you're fortunate, you know, Again, you've got five, six chariots. You might get two, three, four on a charge if you're lucky. Maybe you don't get any. Again, luck of the dice. Typically what happens to me is, you know, one will be a five or a six or one, and the other one will be a one most of the time. Again, it's a dice game. So odds there in that case. And yeah, it'll really just depend on the scenario and what you're coming up against. But at least in my experience, those are some of my thoughts there. Yeah, fair enough. So I think as long as you come up against a Khan army with a plan, you've got a chance. I think if you let Josiah and the, his Khanish friends across the world choose where to go, you're in a fair bit of trouble. Like most impact armies, you can either set it up so that something is going to 
to not die from the impact. So monsters are really good here. Heroes with lots of fate are really good here. Something that can stop the charge in its place. And then especially if you can come get some support in that's got high fight or that, that can like maybe some high defense for to to stop the charge, then you've got a bit of a, a chance as well. But it's risky. We tried that tactic with the Dane and thought we'll go all in with Iron Hills and they couldn't pull it off. So the, the, what hope do the rest of us have against, against such reckless hate? <laughs> yeah, certainly. And, and like I said, again, game of moves, counter moves and finishing. And again, another really cheeky tactic of mine is, sure, you might you might think you'll be able to form a, a roadblock with your, your big monster or your big hero or what have you. But the great thing is that the Khan are an evil army, right? And typically, again, in an army of 30-plus models, you're going to have two-thirds of that with bows. You know, their strength two bows. But a great tactic of mine, and several other armies, evil armies can do this, is, you know, you just got to put that one model in, right, and neutralize that big hero, neutralize that big monster, pump it full of arrows, kill your guy, and there's a turn gone. You know, the hero, the monster, or multiple heroes, multiple monsters are essentially stuck in place. You know, they're not doing or contributing very little to your army in the game in that turn. So a very cheeky tactic. Um, I know Kylie's quite fond of that with her Corsairs, and I believe it was at um, Ardor Unleashed. She very much used that a number of times. and So I very much borrow that, that tactic in regard with the Khan. Yeah, it's, it's a solid tactic. It really is. So you've got... Yes, evil armies still have so much flexibility, don't they? To to remove models that are that are in the way or, or through through different means. And the kind you've got some really choices with your shooting and with your running over. You've got you you spoiled for for choice of that, and you spoiled for choice of those sacrificial models. Which some of the evil army that's their only option. You've got heaps of options there. So I really like this army, but that's I think for enough of the tactics. I want to move on to my favorite part of the episode, which is always the scenarios. Scenario Spotlight. The Field of Calibrant. In the year 2510 of the Third Age of Middle-earth, the Kingdom of Gondor was at war with an army of men from the eastern land of Khand. The Khandish armies had pushed Gondor to the brink of ruin, marching across the White City's domains all but unimpeded. As the army from the east continued to invade Gondor, Hope waned and despair began to creep into the minds of her people. Kirion, the steward of Gondor, marshalled his forces as best he could against the Khandish threat, but they were simply too great in number for Gondor to deal with single-handedly. They would need allies in this war. To this end, Kirion sent requests of help to all that he could, though he knew that many of Gondor's allies would take too long to reach them in time. However, it was as the Carnish invaders broke into Gondor's western province of Kalinadron that the fortunes of war shifted once more. From the north, an army of northmen had heard the plight of Kirion and had rode south to Gondor's aid. Atop their steeds, and led from the front by their king, a great man known as Eorl, the northmen waged war against the Carnish armies in an effort to deliver victory to Gondor. Eventually, Eorl and his northmen defeated the Carnish invaders, driving them from the lands they had attempted to conquer. For their help, Kirion gifted the lands of Kalinadron to Eorl and his people, and with it forged an alliance that would last hundreds of years and would have a part to play 500 years later in the War of the Ring. In the War of the Rohan book, we have one 
Khan-dish scenario, but it looks to be a, an interesting one. It's one of the, the famous Eastling Khan battles, and Games Workshop has interpreted it to be a, a variags of Khan that are fighting in this one. I think in the books it was an Eastling force, and they named the the hero that was leading them, which isn't in this, surprisingly, and had some Orc allies, but this is not focusing on the Orc allies. This is just focusing on the Khan. So... We've got the field of Calibrant, which is a big river in the middle of a board, quite a wide river that's got a ford in the middle. Water, horse, horses love water, so that's all good. And then you've got a four by four board with just a scattering of things. The participants are Earl the Young, a king of men with heavy armor, shield, and a horse representing Kirion. So we've got Kirion and Earl here. Earl, or Earl, however you pronounce that one. 12 riders of Rohan with various weapons. Six Sons of Aeol, which is a nice number of Sons of Aeol. Twelve Warriors of Minas Tirith with the, the standard 333 type, 444-type uh, layout. And six Knights of Minas Tirith with shields. So you've got an, a, an interesting good force with so, so two pretty good heroes. Uh, Aeol the Young's an excellent hero. King of Men's a good hero with a good amount of cavalry, 18 cavalry models, and then a small amount of infantry. No, more than 18 cavalry models, 24, so well, even more scary. And on the evil side, you're going against a wonderful Kandish force with the Kandish king on chariot, a Kandish chieftain on chariot, one of the first scenarios of a Kandish chieftain involved, and three Kandish charioteers, your basic ones, the old 30-point ones, but it's a scenario, so who cares? 12 Kandish horsemen, a lot of Kandish horsemen, and 18 Kandish warriors on foot. So you've got the, the six with the bow and the 12 with a hand and a half axe. So this is... I don't actually. I don't mind this as a Carnish force. It's a good sort of shopping list type force for to buy because you get a real taste of all the Carnish stuff. It's a bit heavy on the Carnish charioteers, but for a scenario that does make it really interesting. Basically, our job for this on the objective is that the the good side has to reduce the evil side to twenty five percent of its starting numbers, and the evil player has to kill Kirion. So there's really simple objectives. You've got a fast flowing river, which is a deep water river, which is uh, the ford's shallow water, the river's deep water. So this is concerning for everyone. So basically you're going to meet in the middle at some point or someone's going to overrun and then then pull out across the sides. And Aeol the Young has a special rule where at the end of the good player's fourth move phase, the Rohan models move on to the board as reinforcements. So you've got Kirion and the Warriors of Minas Tirith, the Knights of Minas Tirith, all ready to go in the middle, and the Rohan will come and save them perhaps, but not if you have your wager, Sire. Uh, you've played this one, haven't you? Yes, yes, I was fortunate to play it with some good friends of ours uh, over at uh, Fail Charge Games. So, again, uh, subscribers of their channel, look out for that in the near future. Again, any opportunity to play the Khan these days, I'm all in for it. And the, certainly seeing that and Rohan at War made me very happy, pretty chuffed. I was, I was hoping, I had my fingers crossed, that we might get a named hero that wasn't to be. Maybe in the near future, but uh, that was all good. Yeah, so I played that with our good friends over at uh, FCG. So we had a double sort of match, and the deployment was Kurian and his sort of little posse. They deploy in the middle, something uh, between three to six inches, if I recall correctly, uh, of the Ford. And then the Kandish host, they deploy uh, up to 12 inches on the, it might have been the southern border. I could have that wrong. But you're very much right there in terms of a shopping list, uh, Jeremy. Um, I think the models required comes to yeah two boxes of infantry, of course, a number of chariots, and then a number of horses. So a good shopping list for any points limit that you might want to play the car at. Uh, anyhow, you deploy on the 12 inches there. I, I, th- I thought, and now having played it, that the, the three charities was just a little bit, little bit overkill 
especially considering at least the way I approached it, that they didn't really see much action in the game. And as a result of the way the scenarios are laid out and the dynamics of the chariot, it only means that they can go over the ford uh, because they have rules regarding not being able to cross impassable barriers and, of course, having to take a test when they cross streams or chasms. So you have to take a test when you enter the stream, if I remember correctly. Uh, and on the roll of a one, the chariot collapses pretty much, you know, explodes into pieces. So you're going to do that. And hopefully your dice rolling is good enough to avoid that. The benefit with the likes of, say, the heroes is that you could use your might to bump it up. But the downside to that is in this mission is you only have two heroes. So you only have four might in total. Uh, in saying that, your opponent only starts with two as well. But when Ale comes along, for one, he has three, and then he has his legendary hero special rule, which means he can have multiple, uh, depending on how well you roll with them. So, again, we set up. I put my, my king and my chieftain you know, down the gauntlet. We moved up normally the first turn. Again, only that four might, not really worth uh, the march. Um, I put the opponent, um, again, who I think has the hardest job in this mission, the good side, certainly. It's, it's made out to sort of follow... Uh, or at least as close as possible, you know, the, the thematic events uh, in the Unfinished Tales here in the story. And so he has to deploy, or your opponent has to deploy, the good side has to deploy within range of the Ford. Now, they kind of had two options here. Because you've got Minister of Warriors, you only have eight of them with the shield and therefore the shield wall special wall. So... We discussed this whilst playing it. You can either set them up in a wall formation, you know, like one behind the other, or uh, like the expert player or the experienced player will do it, the slant. So, um, you know, you cover multiple angles and you get the defense bonus all round. Uh, or you can form a V. And I, <laughs> we, we tossed it up, but I somehow managed to convince my opponent to do the V, um, which would mean that one model would be at the top, right? So eventually my chariot, my king, would charge across the river and the idea was that that one model would be you know the roadblock right again two dice one sixth chance or one thirty-sixth chance i think the odds are to roll a six on those two dice what happens i roll a six right there goes that roadblock still though in the formation in the sort of the v formation the next two lines you know within were touching two models so they were defense seven so essentially i ran into them and I was fighting two guys because I had lost priority. And they're in their formation. They're defense seven. But I'm a Kandish king. And I fight five. Uh, I have an axe, hand and a half axe. So what do I do? A piercing strike, right? Um, go yeah. up to strength five. You know, D7, only fives. I tried to very cheekily do a heroic combat, which in, in hindsight was probably the wrong thing to do but i thought if i can kill these guys no one else is in sheer wall formation i could then make a straight line towards Kyrian. so i win the fight kill them with ease and i'm like okay there's two models right between uh me and Kyrian. surely i can run them over you know i need to roll fives now but of course as as the luck goes and you know it's fickle like most dice games are you know, I don't kill the first guy. And so now I'm fighting him. I'm down to my point. I'm in this sort of a really crucial position because, again, my chariot, my king's chariot's not all the way over the river yet and therefore is blocking everyone behind him. Uh, so that's somewhat detrimental. 
However, I aim to have my chieftain behind so that he in future could then call heroic moves should I need them. And then, of course, on the flanks, while it's deep water, uh, again, to my understanding, to this day, and of course at the time, um, the Khan are just wearing armor. So even though I need to roll a swim test, they only die on the roll of a one, or they only drown on a roll of one. And of course, then the cavalry get the bonus for you know being mounted, they get the plus one. So I suppose technically, again, if I'm interpreting correctly, they they can't drown. If you roll a one, it comes a two uh, as a result of the horse. Um, so again, mm. I split my cavalry up, go either flank to get them across, um, to sort of get uh, number superiority uh, as early as I can across the um, the board. This is probably this is about turn two now, um, and then I proceed to walk my infantry over. Right again, infantry can drown. Uh, and what did I proceed to do? On one flank, I had six of them, and I think in one turn, five of them died from drowning. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so, so the river certainly got its vengeance and um, was was true and, and, and to the spirits of uh, Middle Earth and the Vala were certainly there protecting uh, Kirian that day in the form of the river, uh, which was quite amusing. <laughs> the other flank, again, a couple drowned as well, but not five. Nevertheless... I, I my chariot was stuck there in the middle and came down to heroic roll off as it usually does, and my opponent won the heroic roll off and then proceeded to surround uh, King. But of course, having played and had some experience with the Khan, especially on chariot, uh, you know, I knew I was in a good spot. He had predominantly strength three models. Uh, he had the same fight value um, without strike, so and I still had that one might point. So if I needed, I could strike. Of course, I decided not to. I thought I'd wing it. And then uh, we went to the roll-off, and I think he won. I believe he won there at that point. Um, and, of course, being on a chariot, being surrounded, I mean, of course, I'm trapped. But at least the way I interpret that interaction is you roll to see what you hit first. So with the defensive uh, bulwark rule. So, for example, carrying with this two attacks, or the king with this two attacks roll. They both hit the chariot, I believe, and from that point, I believe they doubled. So we get four dice then to wound and so yeah. on for all the rest of the models. Makes sense. At, at least, yeah, at least that's how I interpret it. Um, again, uh, rules enthusiasts out there, you know, feel free <laughs> to correct us. Um, yeah, uh, and again, having played the army, you know, he didn't do a single wound. Um, that, again, another sort of example of how tanky the likes of the Khan, especially on chariots, can be. So my, my, my opponent, again, um, I was deliberating with him as well as, as to what he could do and how he could hold back the tide, all pun intended, crossing the river. And he'd take my advice every now and then. There's a new plan. He's doing all that he could. And then in the following turn, again, came down to you know the infamous roll-off, which I believe I won that turn. And, of course, then proceeded to charge Kirian, which was the objective, killing his horse. And I think I dealt a wound as well, even at defense seven. Again, managed to roll a six. And he opted to take the wound, as, as you do in many a case, you know, saving that fate for that sort of 50-50 roll-off in future. Mm. And again, same thing, surrounded me. I think I'd managed to get enough uh, infantry and sort of cab in that time. So I was beginning to surround him and sort of enabling myself to pick off the odd model here and there. My king was surrounded against the fight on the charge to Kirian. So I'm like, all right, 
you know, I'm either going to win this or I'm not, and we're going to have another round of uh, potentially taking, you know, doubled up wounds. Anyway, rolled out dice, and I believe I proceeded to win that with a banner re-roll, re-rolling the six. Of course, then knocking Kyrian down. I had opted not to piercing strike uh, for fear of losing and, you know, losing defense and then potentially um, dying. So, again, I was still striking him at strength four, needing sixes, which with, I believe it was eight dice, I managed to kill him in that turn. And so, or maybe, no, maybe I did one more. I think I did one wound and he had another sort of uh, replay of the turn. So, again, tough for the good side in that scenario because this is, Again, this is probably turn four at this point. So Ale proceeds to move on with his, you know, host of uh, Rohirrim. And it's, it's a sort of a tough choice for the good player at this point because, at least for our, myself, I had got a chariot across, a heap of horsemen, a good deal of infantry by this point. So really what was only on the other side that had come from were my charioteers and a couple of infantry, my bowmen. So as a good player, you know, you have this dilemma. Do you send some riders over there to sort of, you know, shoot and maybe attempt to lock those models down? Or do you commit everything to the northern side of the board and subsequently, you know, clog yourself a little bit on that side of the river? Uh, so my opponent did sort of a little bit of both. He put some Rohirrim on one side uh, where the charioteers were. And again, that unfortunately didn't end too well for him with you know, multiple charioteers eventually running them all over. Um, poor Rohirrim, but then <laughs> yeah, Ale came down with the Sons of Ale, and man, when they're within range of him to get their extra check, they are they're very very strong. You know, throwing a banner in there, and you know, you're talking about four attacks essentially on the charge, and that is really really strong. However, the issue was my opponent came up against all my cab models again, not detrimental to him by any measure. There's still two attacks at strength four. Uh, again, you know, for a cavalry model versus a cavalry model, which is huge. So he's wounding me on fours. And he, he caught a couple of um, quite well-placed uh, heroic combats and was beginning to sort of sort of chip away at what I had on his boardage. But then this must be about turn five or six. I'd managed to get my chieftain sort of around and had hit my lines on one of my flanks with a couple of his, his, his Rohirrim uh, riders. Uh, but I managed to weave chariot around and sort of killed them all in one go and by that the game was very much over i'd killed kyrian which i think as per the objectives that's essentially the game and i i can't remember i could be wrong but if they kill the king it can be a draw or something along those lines not 100 percent sure there anyhow the game had ended that point and it was pretty grim for my opponent and we sort of thought at the end like you know what are some things that you could do to sort of change it to make it a bit fear or more fear and we were thinking like maybe the Rohirrim turn up a, a turn earlier or maybe get a you know minister of captain in there as well to get some more might in the middle early on mm. maybe some more troops in the middle as well like to sort of you know stem the tide so those were some things thrown around it was pretty grim for my opponent and it's again his new player first time experiencing you know chariots the devastation however in saying that we'd before that game, played another doubles game of the uh, the war beasts mm -hmm. from the Gondor War. So, and he'd got to use the you know the three mimics. So he'd very much come to yeah. grips with how <laughs> devastating those mechanics could be. So they went up winning that first one. We won the chariots, and so yeah, it was a good day all in all. But a, a neat objective, uh, neat scenario. 
I certainly would consider if you're going to go out and play that. Uh, certainly, if you've got all those Carnish models uh, um, on hand to play it, consider yeah potentially having Ale come in a turn earlier. Maybe adding a captain and uh, maybe some more guys. Certainly, a banner in Kyrian's army would have been huge. Mm, yeah. um, the lack of banner, just you know, for the extra dice roll, especially with the king coming across with his own extra dice roll. I mean, maybe that would balance the odds out or sort of weigh a little you know, further in the good players' um, direction. But, yeah, that was the experience. It was a fun fun game and, of course, fun day there filming with the FCG boys. Certainly recommend, if you listen to this, to head over to the YouTube channel and check the content out. Oh, you definitely need to check them out as well. I'm going to have an interview with them at some point in the future as well. I'm excited about that. But they do some great content and their scenarios always look lovely. So that that sounds like a really fun one and, and quite an in-depth review of that. That's really good. Uh, so we might move on now to... Mustering an up. Mustering an army. Okay, Josiah, this is our last segment, and it's one that I'm very excited about. I want to see how we play the Khan. So you're going to start off with, a, I believe, a 500-point army list. Is that correct? Uh, 400 and 500, uh, all the way up. 400? Oh, a small one. Okay, go for your 400 list. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so 400 is an odd limit. Um, I don't know, at least casually, how often people play at that limit. Um, I certainly had some tournaments in recent time that have been at that limit. And in fact, this weekend have one coming up as well. Uh, 400 is neat. And it's, it's, it's a real niche for the Khan because at least the way I build it is, again, fast, hard and fast. Lots of flexibility. So I usually run a king on chariot and a chieftain on chariot. Each of them either have a, uh, a charioteer. I usually take the bow option, especially because um, it means I can you know skirmish a lot more efficiently. And typically at this level, there's a lot less models in this list. Uh, and then after that, I uh, have t- uh, 10 riders, essentially. So either Warband has five, charioteer, and then the heroes. So... Again, not a whole lot of models. It's like 14 models, 14 bows, though. So, again, position where I'll pick off some targets at that limit um, and then try to go in hard and take them out with the impact hits there. I think we played a couple games with... Oh, I at least played a couple games with that army at first day of Ada Unleashed and where we played Kael Sonata. So we came on via Maelstrom. And, of course, the dynamics of Kael Sonata are really neat that, you know, you can make you know, petty or false alliances uh, with your opponents. Um, you're playing 1v1, v1, v1. Um, so one game I, at least I had with a, a, a friend, a local, he had his Dale, and um, I essentially said to him, look, don't shoot me the first three turns with, you know, his, his gun line of Dale, and I won't come in here behind you and run you over. And, of course, he upheld that, which was neat, but then proceeded to shoot me in following turns, which is fair. So <laughs> it was a really neat dynamic. And, of course, you know, in hindsight, maybe I should have just, you know, bowled him over. But it was a neat. And the points limit worked really well. I've also got a, a, a doubles uh, tournament this weekend, or at least one part of the tournament. Uh, 
the doubles element to it where it's 400 points each and so that will certainly be my limit there i'll run that exact list there hoping uh because it's very much dependent on the rankings so for example there are 10 good players and 10 evil players and so the top evil player will pair with the bottom evil player so on and so forth so depending on where we have tournaments are going i'm hoping my opponent has like a solid infantry block or core of some sort and then i'll, I'll form the, you know, the faster moving um cavalry unit which is neat um yeah a neat, neat list there lots of flexibility requires you to skirmish quite a quite a heap you can't be too aggressive too early on you've very much got to pick your moment whether that means you know marching from a distance you know once or twice utilizing terrain and, and so forth choosing those channels as i've talked about that sort of moves me out of 500 points again at least the way i like to play at 500 is you know, hard and fast again so very low model count usually i play again a king on chariot two chieftains on chariot and then the, i either toss up with going 15 riders or i'll take 13 riders of 13 or maybe 11 riders sorry and two charioteers again five chariots at 500 points 100 points for every chariot sort of it's pretty devastating um it very much means you can um you go straight up the guts and hit your opponent first turn or you can skirmish you can you know split your army up to attempt to pincer maybe your opponents uh rain some 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 uh, missile fire on them for a couple turns and then choose your moment to go in and you know, hack, hack them to pieces again gives you a lot of board control because it's very mm. fast as is one of my sort of uh I guess focus with this army and, and sort of realization at the importance, at least in the game these days. Because I mean, at a 500 point game, at least according to the new match playbook we have now, the average game is what, somewhere between an hour and a half to an hour 45, I think. Yeah, something like that. You want to play fast. Yep, play fast. Again, army very much allows you to do that. You can get up the board swiftly, or, you know, again, depending on the mission, you can come on from, um, you know, your chosen board edge. Certainly, you know, if it means you can run over, you know, a, a warband or half a warband, certainly spend <laughs> your might to be able to do that. You know, 500 points, there's most of the time very few models, so why not have fun? You know, you're paying this massive premium for these chariots, just get in there, you know, run your opponent over, devastate them, catch them off guard, and so forth. So, five, um, five chariots at 500, was it the three heroes or was it two heroes? Was it? Yeah, three heroes. Three heroes, and, yes. Yeah, two chariots, yeah. Okay, so that's a good amount of might as well. You got the six might. You can call a march and hit the other two chariots if you want, and and if they knock down one, you've got the two others for for redundancy. So that yeah, five at five hundred is good. Do you normally go for one per one hundred? Is that sort of your ratio? I've never thought of it like that, but uh, again, I just mentioned that. So yeah, that's certainly one way you could approach it. Uh, I think once you get beyond six hundred, though, at least in my experience then you begin to run into, you know, maneuverability issues. And like I talked about, those channel issues, right? Like, I mean, I mentioned I saw a fella taking 17 or whatever it was at 700 points. I mean, that's awesome, right? Like, do that if you want to do that, by all means. But I think you lose a lot of tactical flexibility when you go that big because, again, typically you're going to be deploying across the whole board, possibly in two, three ranks at times. 
So that very much causes you to, you know, be be squashed up, which is not ideal in life. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So uh, so that's your 500. What was the, the higher points one? Yeah, so the 800 points, which I don't know if I'd call it a sweet spot yet. I do like playing 800. I've played them at 750. It's not quite as maximized as I like. I hear my inner power gamer coming through. But 800, I think, is a sweet spot. I've played two variations of lists at that limit, and I prefer the second one. So I'll mention the first. As I took it to a tournament in the last year. It was simply a king on chariot, four chieftains on chariot. Again, 10 might yep. across five heroes. It was massive. 16 riders, and then I think I had 12 guys on foot. So that was the one I took. It was good. Again, it was my first competitive outing with Khan. It didn't come away with the result I wanted in the tournament. That, that was fine. Enjoyed my game. Opponents were great to play against. And again, very sporting, considering you know the devastation the chariots can cause. However, the second list I've been playing, it has two kings in it and two chiefs on the chariots. Got 14 riders, and I think it's about 17 guys on foot. As I, uh, again, emphasized earlier, you know, at least half the army on foot, which gives me mm. that flexibility, especially when I'm playing aggressively, pushing up the board uh, to not break again too easily. As, again, those of us who play really fighty and aggressive armies will know can happen with, you know, the slightest of ease and, you know, the, the miscount of your models alive, you know, very quickly can leave you broken and then the rest of your army running away. So I certainly learned that and thus the reason why I, I have 17 models on foot. It also allows me to get six more bows in the army, which is great. You just sit them on objectives and, you know, pick off targets here and there where you want to. Shoot through combat, shoot into combat. Yeah, the dynamic is great. And, of course, oh, sorry, I mean, forgot to mention was I have two charioteers in there as well. So, again, Ooh. six chariots. <laughs> That's good. Um, you know, applying the tactics we talked about we talked about earlier on, yeah, it's just, it's just devastating. It's a sweet spot as well. Eight might, though, which, again, ideally... Ten is better than eight, of course, but um, it, it's manageable. You, ideally, try to do the damage earlier on if I can. Again, depending on the scenario, or you know, skirmish efficiently. You know, shooting opponents with all the bow fire you get. I think there's some twenty-six bows in that variation of the list, so you can pick off horses. You know, put the odd wound on heroes if you're fortunate. Pick a few models off, and then you know, as skirmish games go, you know, pick your moment and then go in and hit hard. Yeah, well, I like that one. That's yeah, I, I feel like that's probably the the best design one of that. Having that sort of mirror where you've got the the the, the two kings, so you can fight on two fronts of the two banner effects that overlap your whole army, and still hitting with six chariots is going to be doing some damage. And the, yeah, you can march with a chieftain and get two, three, four, five, even more chariots in in the same radius of that. So that that will work really well. I like those sort of guidelines and i think they're all quite achievable they're all very uh chariot focused which i think is what I, what i'm taking from this army more than anything is that you're taking kind you're taking chariots yeah uh, i mean by all means you could take you know pure foot if you wanted or you know pure cav i have thought about that but uh i, I think they lose that what I, i'd consider like that trifecta sort of element to the army you know, one being the bows uh Two being the heroes, especially the king with a six-inch banner. I mean, you can't emphasize how good that is enough. And then, okay, three, um, there's the potential to get relatively high numbers. And I'd sort of take a page from your guys' book there in that regard. In that 800-point army, there's 37 models, so it sort of exceeds that 35-ish 
sort of elitish tier army sort of threshold, which means you can be aggressive and you know not have to think about your numbers for a little bit. Yes. And come may come maybe turn three or four. You go oh. A lot of the dead power, maybe I'm a bit aggressive. Maybe I'll, you know, be a bit more subdued in the coming turns. But certainly fun. Absolutely. Oh, they all sound good. Now, just I, I have gone for, not being the most experienced Carnage player in the world, I've gone for some alliances and, and ways to ally them in. Because I'm currently building the Carnage Force, so I want to make sure that I can I can play with them early on uh, with some silly armies. They're all at the elitish level, but I'll go for my first one. So this is an Easterling and Carnage army, which is going to be the Green Alliance at 750 points. I'll go for the Easterling contingent first, but this Easterling contingent is my my hitters. So I've got the Kandish King on Chariot, of course. I don't know if I'll give him the bow or the, the axe. I'll probably give him the axe because I'm planning to hit with him. I've got the five Kandish horsemen following him who can either harass or just add some nice fight four cavalry into his charge. And I've gone for a Kandish chariot here in his warband as well, just for if his chariot doesn't do the work, I've got the other chariot to push forward and, and do some damage. So their, their job is to just go through the lines, maybe hit on the side or right up the middle and just cause some havoc and, and hit really hard because then I've got an Eastling force to back it up and go and be opportunistic. So my first warband is for Easterlings is Amdur, the Lord of Blades, with a horse. So this guy is a really good hitter, and he, he loves... Uh, if the Kardish King or the Chariots make a hole, he'll go and, and jump in and, and be opportunistic and take out anything, heroes, infantry, whatever he likes. He's also got a banner effect for the Easterlings, which is nice. He's got a pike block. So he's got five Easterlings with shield, uh, five Easterlings with shield and pike, and four black dragons for the, the nasty fight, four pikes. Uh, with pike and shield. So he's got a nice pike block that can either scrunch up really small um, and not take up much of a footprint, or they can be opportunistic and and go through gaps, which is probably how I play them. So when a cavalry charges in, you leave just enough space for an infantry to come and support you, and you throw an infantry with two pikes behind it and see what happens. My warbands 2 and 3 are identical. They are the Eastling Dragon Knights, which if you've listened to our Eastling episode, you know how much we love these guys, with Armoured Horse each leading three Black Dragon Cataphracts. So these these guys, you've got that uh, nice defense against shooting when you, you clump them up early on, and they just go, and their, their job is to just go hunt heroes and infantry and call heroic combats and keep the chariots and things moving as well. So I've got lots of might in this army and lots of potential to get more because of all the, the blood and glory rules. So this mm, is a yeah, hard-hitting... Yeah, 30 models. It plays pretty similar to the, the Carnage one in that I want to be really aggressive with my, my cavalry. It's not just all chariots, but I'm hoping to cause some real problems with those two chariots I have and then follow up with all the, the Black Dragons uh, and the, and Amdur just to do lots of lots of damage. And I've got a pike block if I need to hold some ground, if I need to jump in terrain, if I need to support, if I need to do whatever. I think this army's got some potential. Yeah, no, I really like that, Jimmy. I've certainly... And, and I've confessed that I'm not as experienced with playing with Eastlings. Uh, however, have you know thought many hours over how to play them alongside the Khan, or of course on their own. And I've heard your uh, your your awesome idea around them, and certainly uh, added to those considerations. Yeah, no, I like the Pike block there, and the flexibility that offers you with all, most of your models there having the Pike. Whether you play that as a wall or you play that as a block, and yeah, like you say, being option. Tunistic and picking the moment where to sort of deploy or where to move to uh, and operating quite efficiently. I notice that you don't have a drum in there though. Did, did, 
or did you mention that you did? No, I don't have the drum in in the army, and that's I don't have a banner either, which is normally two of my go tos. Um, dropping out one of the the black dragon cataphracts or some of the pikemen is probably a good option for that. Like the drum is really good, so I, I'm I'm perhaps being a bit silly not to take it. But it's it didn't fit in the army initially. But yeah, I think if you optimize it, the drum would be a really good choice for for an uh, cataphract. And I don't know if you need the extra banner. It depends how many banner scenarios are in your pool with that one. But you've got some options there to to change and optimize more. I've just gone for almost the general idea of it. But yeah, I like the idea of. The, the drum in there and and we talked about on our episode as well that you've probably always yeah. tried to fit the drum in um kylie's gonna hate me for this one because i haven't <laughs> fit the war priest but i feel like this is one of those armies that if you break you break let it happen i want to mm. go out in a blaze of glory i want to kill as much stuff as i can so i don't want the the war priest because a dragonite will do much more damage and will probably die and the carnage king will do much more damage and we'll probably die. And then Amdur can let standing and just watch this wall of dead bodies and, and be triumphant at the end. Yeah, no, I like that. And again, if your intent is to, you know, go, you know, uh, you know, full force into your, up the enemy's guts and, you know, try come away as best as you can, by all means, that's certainly the army to do it. And I like the double Dragon Knight. That's, that's awesome. The damage output from those two guys, especially getting Mike, potentially getting Mike back, is huge. And then, of course, you know, being in range of Amdur, especially if it's base contact, they benefit one another with their Gleaming Horde special rule, and, of course, they all get the banner effect. And it's a tough one, eh, because you, you've got your, your king, your Karnish king, you've got Amdur, and they're both, you know, treated as banners, but they aren't the physical banner, therefore, you know, not allowing you to potentially in those, you know, one or two scenarios score those VPs, which is a little bit annoying. But, again, extra rerolls nonetheless, so that's awesome. Yeah, the drum, man, the drum of the Eastling army, and then you you get a heroic march in there as well. That's yeah, that's a twelve inch moving infantry force. That's huge. Again, sort of emphasizing my earlier points about movement and the flexibility that at least the Khan bring. Um, but yeah, no, by all means, thirty models, all that killing potential. Yeah, great army there, Jeremy. Nice. Yeah, the, the drums the drums a good choice as well because, as you point out, the infantry keeping them up with the chariots. If you want to go really aggressive, is probably good because you want them to be that second wave. So when you hit first, that next turn you want them ready to charge in and, and help out. So that is a good option. It's it looks like a fun army to play. Now the next army I've got is going to be my my idea of a Khand and Mordor list, and I was a little bit limited here because of the the Mordor Valor heroes. So what I've gone for from the the Khan side of it is the Khandish king on chariot, as you would probably expect leading six Kandish warriors on foot and three Kandish horsemen. So just to, to get the bow, because I don't get that special bow, uh, ignore the horsemen bow limit thing. And then I've gone for a second warband of Khand with a Kandish uh, chieftain with chariot. And the same same guy. So six Kandish warriors with the axes and three Kandish horsemen. So a pretty solid, small Kandish force. And then that's backed up by, well, or backed up or, or fronted up or whatever, by Mordor, Kamul the Easterling with Felbeast for some sneaky magic, but some real hitting power from a Ringwraith. And he's an Easterling, so I can sort of imagine him helping out the Easterlings a little bit. 
And I've gone for an orc horde. Well, it's not quite a horde, but a good amount of orcs here. I've gone for an orc warrior banner. So got my banner in, in this one. Uh, banner, he can he can just get in the middle of the lines, and then anything that's not affected by the Carnage King banner will help out. I've got five orcs with shield and six orcs with spear, so a good number of orc infantry. And then I've snuck in two Morgul stalkers into Kamul's list. And I figure in an orc block, having something that can hit a little bit harder and with, with concentrated attack, so having the strength four and the two attacks, really is useful. Then in Warband 2, I've gone for an Orc Taskmaster this time. So the idea is that I can potentially get some of the moves off to make sure I get the charges with the, the chariot. So if I'm up close and personal and I need to, to lock them in, the Taskmaster potentially can keep me going there. Bit of a risk, a captain might be a better option, but Taskmasters are always funny if you want to go for the movement stuff. Uh, he's leading a similar Warband. So it's four Orcs with shield, six Orcs with spear, and those Orcs with spear can definitely go help out these Carnish warriors with their with their Elite Fight 4. And two Morgul Stalkers as well. So the Morgul Stalkers are once again sneaking around and hopefully they won't get targeted by shooting because they'll be behind a rock or a pebble or something like that to cover them up. So I've got 48 models at 800 points with this one, which is really quite good numbers. I've got the two hero chariots. I've got a small, well, not a small amount of might. I've got a probably an average amount of might that could be a lot of might if the Taskmaster really fires up. Yeah, no, that, that's a really neat list there, Jeremy. Um, I like like the, the massive orc block, well, the large orc block there, especially if it takes your numbers to 48, like 800 points. That is, that's really solid. And, of course, I suspect most of them will have the shields, as you mentioned. So, again, D5, D4, sort of front line. Still get the, the, the fight four in there with the Kandish on foot, which is really good. And the potential, again, to two-hand if you really want to, a pesky strike. And then, of course, the uh, the Morgul Stalkers, which I, I know you, you really like as well. Two attack, strength four, which brings you a little bit more punch, um, which is great. And, yeah, the addition of Kamal. I mean, I really like Kamal, especially on a Felbies, and especially in the calm setting. I, I sort of think of them, if you read like the blurbs of like the Easterlings and, you know, each of the models, they talk about their backgrounds. And when I always imagine like Kamula's being the Dragon Emperor is um, mentioned in the sort of the Easterling blurb there before their, their profiles, which is really cool. And yeah, c- combine him with a chariot and potential for heroic comet, you know, hurling models and all the rest. And that, that can be really devastating. Um, and to add to that, you've got the numbers to support you, back you up, um, you know, making it very hard to break here. And, of course, if your Taskmaster's in there, you can get your free heroics off. Just, I think is it, they've changed it now, haven't they? So it's just Mordor heroes or heroes from that given list that the Taskmasters will affect. So the Orc Taskmaster now, every time a friendly hero within six inches calls a heroic move, a heroic march, or heroic shoot, they get it back. So you can have potentially your Kandish chieftain on the chariot getting marches and doing it again. You've got Ooh. your potential move, which the Taskmaster can do as well. So Taskmaster usually does the first move, but he's also got a march as well, which is sneaky as well. So you've got a very march-heavy army, and I think the Taskmaster does play well with the, the Kandish chariots because I know that it, just seeing how you play, the march is pretty integral to your plan. So the potential to get more off could be a really nasty surprise. Yeah, for sure. And I can almost see like, like a like a conversion, like it could be like a a, a Khan master or something of the sort. If you were to do, you know do some chopping and bits and you know give him a whip and all the sorts and sort of make it look um, fitting. But yeah, no, no, great great army list there. Lots of potential to sort of stick around, hold up, you know, then allow your big hitters, your chariots, and Kamal to sort of get in and do work and or you know neutralize big heroes. 
um, whilst you sort of you block or you know if you split it up and get to the objectives or hold a certain area, which is yeah, a lot of flexibility there. With the combination of the calm and of course yeah, you got your riders, few bow shots, but I, I of course see this army sort of being up up front and in in the center of things. Yeah, it's definitely the orcs just lock down in combat with something, and at that point the chariots whip around the sides, or you leave a nice space for them. They push forward. I, I ideally the sides I think would be a good place for them because the orcs can just just stay in there. The chariots can start pushing in, and the the cavalry and then Kamul can back them up as well. But you've also got the potential to do lots of knockdowns and fun with Kamul. Kamul could do a lot of things. Uh, if if your Carnish king or your chieftain end up in combat with something that's a bit nasty, you can throw a transfix to stop them striking, and you can do all kinds of things with this army. And I think you've got the numbers to make it work. If something goes down, it doesn't matter. You've got plenty of other stuff. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, like you said, orcs locking down, um, chariots enveloping or pincering your opponent's uh, line or band or what have you. Um, another neat thing to do is uh, with the chariots, especially if you're running them on the flanks, is like get into that spear line that's typically quite often um, in your opponent's sort of rear formation and sort of pick them all off because then what often happens is your front, their front line begin to shield uh, you know, and the effectiveness and then you've very much neutered your opponent there in that case. Absolutely, yeah. If you're shielding against this army, you're in a lot of trouble because you have to kill them. You have to whittle down the numbers. And it, if you're shielding against Kandish warriors, then then you, you're thinking, well, you, I might go two-handed with uh, a spearman backing me up because I don't really care if, if I yeah. if I lose the combat. I want to hit things and I want to kill them. So it does make a mess of that. So I feel like this is a fun list to do. And it sort of, to me, is what I imagine the fields are, of Calibrant being. Um, I know I've had to put the Eastling in there because I needed a Valor Hero, but I don't mind Kamul as the Eastling because the Ring Race were definitely around at that time. But I, I like this Orc Horde that's pretty pretty average Orcs on its own, but they, they've got a little bit of punch to them. And I do like your idea of, of doing stuff with the Taskmaster. Maybe give him a Kandish back banner. Um, could be good fun. Or press molding some of the Kandish helmets and adding them to some of the Orcs might be interesting as well, just to, to break that up. Yeah, definitely. No, I could, I could see the, the aesthetic sort of coming. That's really neat, there. I've got one more as well, Josiah. So this one, this one's going to be a guilty pleasure type army. So I'm going to start with the Variags of Khand. As you may know, my Variags of Khand have got a green dragon painted on the side of them, which is totally unrelated to the podcast, but that's the symbol I've gone for for it. So I'm just playing into that just a little bit here. So I've got a Khandish king on chariot leading uh, six Khandish warriors, uh, three Khandish horsemen, and a Khandish charioteer. So a nice all-round warband with a bit of everything in there. The second warband of Khand is a chieftain with six Khandish warriors and three horsemen. So that's my third chariot. And then my third Khandish warband is another chieftain with five Khandish warriors and three horsemen. So I've ended up with, with the nine horsemen. I've got four chariots. I've got, uh, what is that, three heroes so far. But it's a 1,000 points. So at a 1,000 points, I'm going to add something that's going to make the game a little bit more interesting for me. So, as I said before, I've got the green dragons on the banner. So, I've added in, allying with Moria, as we talked before, a green dragon. So, I've got a green dragon with breathe fire and fly. So, I've got this artillery dragon, essentially. So, it can, it can throw a fireball on and just really scare the opponent if they want to stand back. Or I can go... It can keep up with the chariots. It can fly. It can cause all kinds of problems. It's a massive hitter. And it's bringing along two swarms of little baby dragons. So two bat swarms. So that, that way I can go. The, the Carnish chariots get into something that's that's 
too too much of them to take on. I just plump a, a a dragon swarm in there, and there goes their fight value. Awesome, yeah. No, I've, I've certainly contemplated that list as well, and and again with the thought of say you know uh, an Easterling alliance the dragon emperor or, or whoever it is and of course allying and a, a dragon with breathe fire or you know the tough hide or maybe even wind tongue but certainly with the fly option um but the, yeah the little little dragons that that's a neat little touch there and i could certainly almost see the the, the aesthetic you'd go for a little 40 mil base maybe find a, a third party model to have you know tiny little dragon on or maybe sculpt it up yourself um, but certainly effective in the game as well. Yeah, neutering uh, opponents, monsters, or heroes, whilst the you know Carnish King or Charioteers go in there and you know cut them down, do a bit of work. And then of course, you know, like you say, your sniper dragon there, keeping your, your opponent at bay and you know striking more fear into them as to how they approach the army. Um, no, no, very neat. And, and certainly, as you mentioned, the, the green dragon aesthetic, um, very, very appealing and relevant. Yeah, I re- <laughs> I'm really looking forward to giving this one a try. This is sometimes you get an army list that you just think, yeah, th- this is a cool army list. And I would imagine for the for the dragon swarms, little baby dragons, I would go hunt down little third party models. Hopefully, ones that are actually having dragons flying. And I wouldn't mind them looking um, a bit of a Chinese influence dragons as well, if possible, just for the 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 Kandish sort of Mongol theme as well. But I, I could play around with any sort of Asian dragon. It's only got 33 models. But I feel like at a thousand, it's not terrible. It's enough that if I hit really hard with my four chariots and a dragon, I'm going to be able to make that up pretty quickly. And heroes don't really want to come and countercharge them because of the presence of the bat swarms and the fact that the dragon is an absolute hero killer as well. So it's one that I feel like the fire is nice in that that it can can make them a bit scared about deployment. If they all just castle up into one corner, you just hit them with a couple fireballs and see what happens. But if they spread out, then your chariots have their way because spread out models are, are a chariot's best friend. Oh, yeah, very much. Yeah, again, moves and counter moves and finishing that army like most others. But, um, yeah, I can almost envision your opponent's uh, look on their faces when you set that down in front of them and, you know, thinking how to approach it. You know, if I go hard with my big heroes, well, they're going to get shot down by the bat swarms. And, you know, there's that big dragon there and all the rest. And, of course, the chariots. So, yeah, lots of things to consider. And then, of course, you just sort of, tapping your fingers away there, just waiting for their uh, decisions and deployment and all the rest, and then you sort of yeah, jump on them with that. Yeah, I think I think it'll be a, a really amusing army. And look, a 1,000 points, people have stuff that can deal with it, but can they deal with all your stuff at the same time? I'm not so sure. It's going to be it's gonna be a challenge. And the army would look really, really intimidating because you've got that big dragon base, then you've got four chariot bases, so that's 60 mil bases, and then you've got like 11, 40 mil bases as well. So that takes up a lot of space. So it tends, up, it tends to look bigger than it actually is. So it's 33 models, but it looks like it's 50 models. So that can be scary on its own. Yeah, for sure. And like like I said before, car and army, typically, if you're taking multi-chariots, you're going to wound up deploying across the board. But yeah, that, that visual element and that sort of visual, um, you know, psychological trick, I guess, if you want to uh, call it that, um, you know, making the army look bigger than it is. And then, of course, playing it bigger than it is, right? You know, most of the uh, the damage output is going to come from, you know, four or five models, essentially. And, um, you know, if you're fortunate and successful with it, play it well and roll well, of course, um, you know, it's those models that are going to be most of the work. 
Yeah, it's it's going to be fun, and and oh, I, I, there's so many good options for the, the Carnish Army, and I was surprised because I thought it was going to be tough coming up with alliances, and that's just three that I could possibly come up with. You've got enough options that with especially your yellow alliances that you can make the armies function. Yeah, you don't get any army bonuses, but the stuff that these guys add to the Kandish army, which is already quite formidable, is really interesting. So you've got one of them, we, we had a horde allied to it. One of them, we've just basically allied a whole bunch of elite heroes to it. And then this one, we've got a big, big, scary monster to it. And it still plays roughly similar, although the, the, the hordes probably plays a little bit differently, but the others are, are somewhat similar. So you've got some options here, and it's good options if you want to start Khan, because I feel like, as you said, you're probably going to buy it parts, bits of it at a time, start off with a, a chariot or two and then some, some other stuff and then just build, build, build. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and of course, that being my experience and approach to it, as I mentioned earlier, um, no, very much a lot of fun and lots of potential to ally in, uh, you know, uh, very dynamic other models to support and sort of add to that, you know, that, that terror element that, you know, the chariots and Khan overall sort of present. Absolutely. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode, Josiah. I've had a lot of fun here, and it's been great to talk to you about it. I hope that our listeners are inspired to to, uh, to get some Kanda armies going, or at least uh, someone in their area. It would be nice if, if everyone's little group has at least one person that can, can field the Khan, because I feel it adds a lot to the game, both in aesthetics, but also in a new challenge, because it does play differently to, to most armies, and, and that, that Impact 8 army, it really goes all in on it, so... It looks like a good, fun army to play, and and hopefully I get some chance once all these uh the the stuff going around the world get, cleans up, I get a chance to go over to New Zealand and, and get to take on your Kardish army again, and maybe have some victory this time. Probably not, but maybe. I'm certainly sure you will, there, Jeremy, and we very much look forward to uh, hopefully having you in the future. And yeah, very very much encourage everyone out there if you if you've been eyeballing the Khan army, or maybe maybe on you know, Games Workshop. Or- from a friend or where or from afar certainly uh, I, I couldn't encourage you more to, to acquire it and um, try it out try your hand at it work it out you know for some it might come easier as to how it operates and works um, some it might take you some time but it's certainly a shock to at least a lot of the meta armies that at least I've come up against and see out there online um, and it, it does get your opponent sort of uh, backpedaling and second-guessing themselves as to how to approach it, um, mixing up, again, possibly your local scene or, you know, tournament here or there. Yeah, so certainly get out there, give them a try, or, you know, have a listen to this, and I guess, hope, hope you've enjoyed hearing my thoughts and Jeremy's and our list. And again, yeah, thank you very much, Jeremy, for having me. I appreciated uh, chatting with you, and, uh, yeah, look forward to a future. No problem, Josiah. Until next time, listeners... Impact Hits from Chariots Win Games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.